Hello ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to a very special episode of Second Take Cinema. Um, this is, in theory, a very special episode, because this is Rory's birthday. Whey! Happy birthday to you, etc, etc, etc. 21 et today! Tell them the truth, Rory. 25. The truth, Rory. 29. The truth. <laughs> 35? No, I want you to come back and go, you can't handle the truth. <laughs> you failed the bit. Anyway. Uh, um, and I'm so, not 35, I'm 37. <laughs> so in theory, this is a birthday special. Yes. It may not be a birthday special if we haven't actually started releasing by that point. Well, if, no, you can release it earlier in the line then, can't well, you? Well, in theory, in theory, we will start releasing the show by then. Um, but depending on how much more delays are caused by Haunted, we might not. No, um, just cancel Haunted. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. I'm only kidding, people. Anyway, so on today's episode, we're actually doing two films. We're doing a double bill. Today, we are talking two different films. Two films that might seem to have very little in common at first, but we'll see if they actually have more in common than you might think. The first is our first ever television film that we've talked about yes. on this, on this here movie. show. It is on Blu-ray. It was shot on film, but it is shot for a 4 by 3 ratio. Mm. So and it aired on TV. And aired on TV. And, and you can still see where the commercial breaks went. Yeah, whereas I like, now for the commercials. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but this is uh, from 1974. This is Pray for the Wildcats. Yes. Directed uh, by Robert Michael Lewis, written by Jack Turley. Starring the aforementioned William Shatner, Andy Griffith, Robert Reed, Marjo Gortner, Angie Dickinson, Janet Margolin, and Lorraine Gary. Um, now, as this is a TV movie, yep. I don't have any box office information for it. No. Um, unfortunately, and there's actually no information on viewing figures or anything like that. The I think one... given its age, things like that weren't really noted as much back then. I did um, find one thing, though, I don't, again, because it's IMDb trivia, it may not be as accurate as one would like, uh, but the one thing I could find about in terms of success, at least, was uh, where... People do this all the time because, obviously, William Shatner is famous for Star Trek. Mm. Uh, and at the time, there was... Um, so, this aired at the same time as a new series pilot called The Quester Tapes, which was by Gene Roddenberry, the man who created Star Trek. Mm. Uh, basically, you ended up with William Shatner versus Gene Roddenberry. According to this, Shatner won. Pray for the Wildcats garnered a big audience and a big cult following. Now, it doesn't actually link to anywhere which references how it knows that with the numbers. Mm. Obviously, the Questor tapes didn't become a massive series in the same way Star Trek did. But then neither did this. This was never going to. It was a standalone uh, made-for-TV movie. So I don't really know where they're getting that comparison from. But that's the closest I could find. Okay. Was that the Questor tapes aired at the same time. And according to whoever wrote this, uh, this beat it outright in terms okay. of popularity. 
And our second movie is a theatrical release from ye old year of 2007. Uh, this is technically a Disney production, although it's made via Touchstone Pictures and Buena, and then distributed through Buena Vista. Yep. Buena Vista. Buena Vista uh, usually used to release some of the stuff that was more niche within Disney's catalogue. Yeah. Uh, and again, <laughs> you're going to hate me for having raised it again, but it is rele- relevant. Star Trek. No, no. Uh, Super Mario Brothers from 1993 was released through Buena Vista because it was part funded by Disney but it didn't come out as a quote-unquote Disney property. It came out through... Disney uh, took one look at that thing and went, hell no. (laughs) Hell (laughs) no. (laughs) Probably, yeah. Uh, This is the biker comedy Wild Hogs. Wild Hogs! Wild Hogs! Uh, Directed by Walt Becker starring Tim Allen. John Travolta. Grease Lightning. <laughs> Martin Are we Lawrence. Do this for all of them. No, because I am not doing an impression of Martin Lawrence. Good, good As, idea. Especially because I'm uncultured, and the only other thing I know Martin Lawrence from is Big Mama's House. Right. No. Yeah. I've never seen Bad Boys. No. Let's. Well, we could sing Bad uh, Boys. Bad Boys. What you gonna do? When they what you gonna you? do when they come for you? There you uh, go. We've done it. William H Macy, great actor. Yes. Marissa Tomei, great actor. Oscar-winning actress. Yep. Um. Literally one. Her career took a real spike because she was in this one year and literally the following year was in The Wrestler, which she's amazing in. Yes. Uh, I think that might be actually what she won her Oscar for. Yeah, is The Wrestler, Wrestler is an incredible movie. Uh, Jill Hennessy and Ray Liotta, may he rest in yes. peace. And he was fantastic in this as well. Um, slightly miscast. He's great in it. He's great, but... That New York Italian accent keeps coming through. <laughs> like he's meant to be like a West Coast biker, but, <laughs> but you keep hearing that good Them fella's hogs accent. Got some there. balls, guys. <laughs> Get some coffee for these coffee. wild hogs. <laughs> um, so Wild Hogs, we do have box office information for. Uh, it was released in two thousand seven. Its budget was sixty million dollars, and it made two hundred and fifty three point six million. Uh, definitely a, a financial success. In fact, it opened opposite Zodiac, the film directed by David Fincher, starring Mark Ruffalo, Robert Downey Jr., and Jake Gyllenhaal. Not really the same audience. Um, I think, no. Well, this outperformed it massively. It tripled it tripled the debut of Zodiac good Um, no that's not fair I like David Fincher's films I I, (laughs) I just like Wild Hogs a lot I do but you know what I don't like Zodiac no I find I haven't seen Zodiac I've never I don't think I've ever made it to the end I've always turned it off halfway through because it's so fucking boring oh wow um, That's not normal for a David Fincher film. No, really, they're quite I, gripping. Yeah, I usually really like David mm. Fincher films. Zodiac just does not grip me. Maybe well, it's just maybe it's just because when I see Robert Downey and um, Mark Ruffalo on a screen, I want them to be Iron Man and Hulk, and not <laughs> not whatever the fuck they are in Zodiac. Anyway. Um, Wild Hogs, however, has a really bad critical reception. I'm going to bring this up because I suspect in a minute when I ask you why you picked this, this might be part of the reason why. Mm. Um, Wild Hogs is, lo- although it was a success, so clearly someone went to see it. A lot of people went to see it. Culturally, it is remembered as a as shit. Mm. Most people, if you bring up Wild Hogs, they'll be like, oh, God, yeah. yeah. Uh, 14% on Rotten Tomatoes um, out of 145 reviews. That's stupid. Uh, the site's critical consensus reads, Wild Hogs is a dreadful combination of fish-out-of-water jokes, slapstick comedy, and lazy stereotypes. Why is slapstick comedy considered a negative nowadays? 
at one point it was. We went I know. to a phase where this it really ha- was. Yeah, and that's pathetic. Like we 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 went from going, oh, this this skill that requires some talent, mm. we're going to repl- replace all of that with stuff that's like in the office where someone just says something stupid and yeah. everyone just looks at camera. Going, but remember, uh, Rory, at some point, no people, skill required. At some people thought at some point people thought puns were actually humorous. Puns are cool. Um, on Metacritic you've also got to remember people thought gross out humour was funny because in the early to yeah. mid 2000s oh, I mean yeah. bear in this mind this is my point we move on and now we're in American an age where you pie. can't have any comedy yeah American Pie was considered a really clever intelligent and yeah. funny film and it's this garbage this is things age yeah comedy ages faster than most well this um, I will admit Wild Hogs some of its jokes have aged we'll get yeah. to that when we get um, to it in terms of some of its more popular comments, though, because it did get some, uh, Ty Burr of the Boston Globe compared the film's merits to its titular motorcycles, believing it to be a bumptious weekend ride. Is bumptious a word? It is now. A bumptious <laughs> weekend ride. The engine could use tuning and the plugs are shot, but it'll get you most of the way there. Although writing a negative review, Burr offered praise for the film's final act, believing it takes a satisfying turn, and that with the exception of Tim Allen, each of the film's primary cast members earns their designated chuckle. He also favourably compared the film to RV, which was another comedy film focusing on a road trip. That was Robin Williams as well. Yeah, I haven't seen RV, but I know that's also regarded as being pretty I, bad. So I did watch RV because there was a point where I was trying to catch up on Robin Williams movies and I saw some amazing ones and I saw RV. And <laughs> it's not an amazing film by a long shot. It's all right. It's, I think it's like, it, from what I recall of RV, I haven't seen RV, it's been, this was about five to ten years ago. Mm. But from what I recall of RV, it was one of those films where it's like, you can put it on, what have it on in the background while you do your ironing, and it would be enjoyable, mm. but it's not going to blow your mind. Yeah, um, well, That's what I recall of it. Anyway. The last thing to uh, read here was this fella here, my God, did he predict exactly how well Wild Hogs would do. Dennis Harvey of Variety said, uninspired script and broad slapstick yucks won't earn this any plaudits, but slick safe package should do okay with the North American mall audience. And it did. Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. where that 253 million comes from. It is indeed. Uh, and last little bit of trivia, did you know that the Hells Angels tried to sue it? Yes, because they thought the Del Fuegos was too close to their brand. This is one of many films where this is something that people don't they, know they about they the Hells Angels. They claimed their logo was in the film as well. Right. But it's not. No, it's not. And the suit was 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 dismissed. So this is something people don't actually know about the Hells Angels. Mm. People in the film industry are terrified of them, not because of the main reasons we'd be... Because they're going to kneecap you, buddy. But no, it's not because of that. Because they sue films all the time. Anytime there's a biker movie, Hells Angels are like, hey, you've stolen our thing. It's like... Mate, there's bikers everywhere, dude. Which, like, given that this is a fi- <laughs> given that Wild Hogs is a film that revolves around what is and isn't a poser, way yeah. way to be posers, Hell's Angels. Yeah, it's like we're outlaws. Sue them, motherfuckers. So you get pick- the suits in here. <laughs> so you picked both of these films, Rory. Yes. Um, do you want to tell us a bit birthday. about? Do you want to tell us a bit about why you chose Wild Hogs and Pray for the Wildcats? Sure. So, I mean, the connections between these two films are kind of tentative on the surface. There's, you know, it's about four group. A group of four male friends going on a bike journey together. That's about as close as they get in terms of their real consistent narrative. Uh, Pray for the Wildcats on some of its reviews or some of its critical 
consideration online uh it generally gets compared more with deliverance and things like that because it's how it goes terribly wrong and it's got a much uh more let's say deadly uh ending to its mm. its its drama whereas wild hogs is an all-out comedy so in in terms of tone they're very different but the basics are there the reason i found them comparable was not only because of that surface level stuff but because of how I expected to be like how I expected to be met by Prey for the Wildcats, mm. so I watched Wild Hogs in cinemas when it was current with wow. my dad. Uh, I thought it was fucking awesome. I enjoyed that film; it was brilliant. I laughed my ass off the whole time, and I watch it religiously every single year, <laughs> at least if not more, because I absolutely adore that film. Yeah, I um, like that with serendipity. Yeah, there are some films that aren't. Don't get me wrong; it's not like uh, cinema cinematic gold. You're not going to go, oh, you must see Wild Hogs because it will change your perception on this. Yeah. This, you know, it's it's a popcorn comedy. But I went in knowing that's what it was. I got what I paid for, and then some. So I thoroughly enjoyed myself. When it came to Pray for the Wildcats, it's a film from 1974. I wasn't born yet, even as old as I am. And uh, <laughs> so I caught it on Blu-ray, uh, which my mum got it for my dad about a year ago. And she was like, oh, we can't play this because she had to import it. It's a Region A disc. So I had to rip it and make a Region B <laughs> copy for my dad. And since I had it on digital, I thought, eh, sorry, I might as well watch it. And I expected from this film, because let me put it this way, without knowing anything about the film, if I tell you William Shatner biker movie, yeah. you're thinking of comedy, even if it's not intentional. You're thinking he's going to be shattering all over that bike. And <laughs> just be like, because we have all seen the worst elements of Shatnerian acting, mm. specifically from season three of TOS. I'm alone. I'm alone. And I expected him to be like that, but with a motorcycle. And I didn't get that. Uh, the film was a surprise to me because I expected something crap. And also bear in mind, during the 70s, the 70s was the time where there was a lot of uh, schlock movies being made because movie making became considerably cheaper. It became easier for lower budget movies to get made. And so a lot of biker movies spawned out of the popularity of the wild one from the 50s. A lot of biker movies of the 70s tended to be um, like murder. See, like it was, I, I'm getting my revenge. I was a biker. I got run off the road or something or someone killed my wife. And then I'm murdering all the other evil bikers. That tended to be the c quite common narrative of biker movies during the 70s. This is not that. And what I didn't expect to be met by was a, a narrative that is anti-capitalism and is very open on the fact that it, it basically states that narcissism within capitalistic business is endemic and when you rem you can remove the person at the top and there'll just be another one to follow and it, and how nepotism gets sort of played in everyone just gets sucked in and keeps their mouth shut to appease those at the top a lot of depth from a film that, when I first heard it, was William Shatner biker film. I did not expect that level of depth. So, there's so, it's one, so I kind of wanted Pray for the Wildcats, because it's a forgotten movie, really, let's be honest. It's oh, not, yeah, I'd never heard of it. Yeah, there's, it's, there'd be a few people that I know. 
within the film industry, maybe, or certainly within the biker frame, but in general, the public does not know Pray for the Wildcats. And I kind of wanted it to get a reappraisal because it surprised me so much. Whereas Wild Hogs, I think, gets unfairly like driven down in terms of critical reception. Again, not stating that it's, you know, cinematic gold. But I do think people are overly hostile in very unfair ways to that film. So it's kind of I'm trying to do a mutual reappraisal of two films that have, in a very thinly veiled sense, a similar theme. And But one I want to try and elevate to, people should kind of know about Pray for the Wildcats. And the other one is saying, I think people should be a little bit more, respectful is not the right word, but maybe a bit more open to wild hogs not being as shit as it seems to have named been named in the zeitgeist okay but yeah we'll get to the details of those as we get to them. okay so as always ladies and gentlemen we will be spoiling both movies mm. so if you're particularly interested in being surprised by the plots um turn off now because here be spoilers <laughs> there'll be whales here oh that's star trek again It'll be spoilers. There'll be spoilers. Uh, so let's start with Pray for the Wildcats. Um, yeah. So I've never seen this before. Uh, to sum it up for everyone, uh, basically this is... So unlike Wild Hogs, which is about four friends going on a biker trip, and then they meet a villain, in this film, the villain's already in the house. Mm. Dun, dun, dun! Uh, so it's three advertising executives. Yeah, working for an agency. Working for an agency, and one of their biggest clients is a guy called Sam Farragut. Yep, Sam Farragut. Uh, I kept thinking it sounded like Farage and kept thinking, <laughs> oh, this is Nigel Farage. <laughs> it could and be, then, And then know. he nearly rapes a woman, and I was like, it's Nigel Farage. <laughs> <laughs> We didn't. We're not. We're not disparaging anyone. We can't be sued. We're not for disparaging slander. anyone. We can't be sued for slander or libel. Um, yeah, we can. I think we should say that was a joke, and we do not know whether or not Nigel Farage has ever ravaged anyone. Side sidebar. Do you know what one of my favourite underrated jokes in a film is? Go on, him. It's in the. It's in Sam Raimi's Spider Man. What the first one? I can't remember if it's the first or second one, but these I think it is the first one though, because I think it's the first time Joe J. Jonah Jameson publishes an article that's about Spider Man's a menace. Right. And Peter Parker obviously is like, but that's slander, you can't do that. He goes, Hey, hey, I resent that. In print it's libel. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, I just like that. it is a good line though, that's yeah. a good line. Um it's the way J.K. Simmons plays it as well. Yeah, J.K. Simmons absolutely fucking rocks that role. Oh, to the point where they had to bring him back in the MCU. Yeah, who are they going to replace him with? Yeah, you couldn't. You couldn't replace him. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, basically, this this Sam Farragut is doing a marketing campaign based around Baja in Mexico. Yeah, so it the company is like a industrial company. And it's using their, it's their equipment in the harshest conditions. So they're doing this advertising campaign of uh, the Farragut Enterprises um, like machinery versus the wild Baja region of Mexico. But he want in order to kind of um, get a feel for the place. Really, he just wants to go on a trip with the boys again, and, and they he don't want to go. Forces them, doesn't yeah. He? And this is how he forces them. He uses his business as a way to coerce people into doing what he wants. Yeah, he basically threatens to pull his account. Yeah. Um, along the way, we also realise that William Shatner, 
whose character is called Warren. Yeah, Warren Summerfield. Yeah. Uh, he has actually lost his job um, and <laughs> has failed to get another job that he's gone for. Yeah, it's quick, uh, quickly suggested that Farragut has basically tried to out him. He d- mm. d- doesn't want him there anymore, but for the sake of the agency, the agency want him to... The agency want to save face, so basically they want it to look like everything's normal until the day he's gone. Yeah. Uh, so he's sort of torn between the two, and he yeah. starts doing things like getting doctor's checkups and stuff. To get a insurance, a life insurance, a policy. life insurance. Policy. Uh, but basically, he's going to top himself. Yeah. Now that's actually a twist that happens later for me. When I watched it the first time, I was like, "Oh, he must be sick, or there must be something like why are they trying to out him?" It takes a while for them to make it clear that he's been fired. Yeah. Uh, they kind of swan around it a little bit at the beginning. So I, at first, I thought he might be, you know, he might have cancer or something like that. But then the dent- doctor is like, "You shouldn't be being wasting my time. Everything's all good." But there's little hints. Now, this is something I really loved about *Pray for the Wildcats*. It has a really clever script and a really beautifully written script from time to time in a dark way. Um, and one of the first arrivals of that is when William Shatner is getting his checkup from the doctor, mm-hmm. and the doctor shows him a an X-ray of his chest. And I don't know why he's got an X-ray of his chest because it doesn't actually explain why they would have done that because he's got a clean bill of health. But either way, he shows him the X-ray of his chest, and then he looks at it and just goes, "We're not so beautiful on the inside, are we? Not so pretty. Not so pretty on the inside." Yeah. And that's obviously a hint to the fact that this guy is feeling some dark shit. Yeah. Um, and, and he, I appreciated that. Yeah, and here we come to our first disagreement with the film. Okay, that is a fucking awful line. I Why? hate. I hated it. Why? It's the way it's done. It blatantly felt like it feels like it's been. It feels like a reshoot. Okay. The way it's edited into the end of the scene. Okay. Because the scene has ended. The scene is over, and William Shatner's clearly stopped acting. The Doctor's gone to walk off, and then we cut to another angle of Shatner. And he just says this line, which it's it's not original to this film. Like variations of this, I've heard in a I billion didn't say other it was things. A, a unique line. Um, By this point, there probably is nothing unique in film. But no, um, but it just felt to me, it just feels really awkwardly tacked on. What I thought was a much better line comes in the following scene. Okay, uh, which is when uh, I think it's William Shatner. But I actually now forget, it might be the other guy, the tall guy with the curly hair. But it's one of the men talking to their wife, and she says to him, Farragut isn't an account, it's a way of life. Yeah, so that is the tall guy. That's Angie Dickinson talking to... uh, What was this actor's name? Another famous actor. Another guy you mean. Yeah. Let me get his name. He's very tall, isn't he? Robert Reed. Robert Reed. Yeah. Um, I thought that was a much smarter line okay. and was making the the point of the film well, much so more clear. They were they were aiming for two different things because obviously the one that Shatner was using was to refer to his own depression, mm. whereas the one that Robert Reed and Andy Dickinson are referring to is the is a discussion really about the uh, destruction of the personal lives of people around people like Sam Farragut. The uh, other, how people in yeah. charge, narcissistic people in charge, will manipulate mm. those around them, even in their home time. Yeah. That's uh, highlighted at the beginning as well with Bill Shatner when they uh, when basically says you have to you have to wait until we're back at the office to get your pound of flesh. Yes. So there's, and there's, he's trying to get him yeah. to. Yeah. Um, I think the other problem that I have with the line. 
And yes, he's not Shatnering all over this film, hmm. but Shatner, in my opinion, cannot deliver what is supposed to be profound dialogue. Okay. It always sounds ridiculous coming from him. And that, that's not just in this film. That's any role I have ever seen William Shatner in. I don't I don't think I agree with you on that. I think that might okay. be overly harsh. The I mean I I will admit it's rare. <laughs> I will admit that. But there are certain occasions where if he it, it always comes down to how well directed he is. Um William Shatner is definitely a man whose acting is at its best when he's got a director that really knows how to utilize him. Uh and I mean come bring him back again Wrath of Khan tends to be like his acting in that is exceptional. But it was a director that knew how to use him and how to work him. So that, like, he has a couple of, I don't know if profound might be the right word for these, but certainly after Spock's death at the funeral, things like that, you can't get better acting than that. There's no one who could have acted that scene better than William Shatner did. And it's not a case of that William Shatner is the best actor in the world. It's that he is a good actor when you know how to use him. And the problem is a lot of directors don't. Uh, because uh, this was said by that director, he comes in with super high energy yeah, to get the most. Yeah, to get the subtlety out of him, you have to get by take twenty five. He's sort of started to mellow into yeah. a groove. You probably get it by take thirty five. Yeah. So obviously, I'm not overly familiar with Star Trek, but I am familiar with TOS. Yes, and I always felt that when you want the profound dialogue, you go to DeForest Kelly. What uh, McCoy? Yeah, okay. he was. I was found he was much better. Whenever they're meant to have come to some sort of profound DeForest, realization, yeah. it was either him or sometimes Spock, to be Spock honest. Spock could do profound. But uh, we'll, don't get me wrong, I like William Shatner in Star Trek. Yeah, I quite yeah. like Captain Kirk, but not for the profound bits. He he was always there for me as the Hollywood action hero type thing. It's lots of, you know... I always tended to find that he could do profound dialogue if he underplayed it. Yeah. Not when it was like his profound line, because he'd always play it as this is the profound line. Mm. But those... and that's how I feel he played this. Oh, that's fair. That's a fair comment. I will. It, it, I will it say that's like a he fair read comment. it and went, oh, oh, oh. And the <laughs> thing is, though, to be fair to him, like he, he probably did this film because it's a made-for-TV movie. Mm. Um, he probably did this film because he liked those lines because he does have a few mm. elements of profound dialogue. Is this uh, I, not that I'm? I don't know if you're an expert in Bill Shatner's career, but not is this really, is this yeah. a down point in his career? Because this is between TOS and the Star Trek movies, and I think this is before he was doing because he, he T. Got, J. Hooker yeah, as well. He had success with T. J. Hooker as well, didn't he? I think T. J. Hooker was afterwards though. That was the eighties, wasn't it? Yeah, T. J. Hooker, the eighties. Or was it just before this? Let me let me just try and find out yeah, when. Because if I can find T.J. Hooker, then I know mm. where he is his career. Because I kind of have a suspicion that this might have been a bit of a down point in his career. It might have been. Uh, he was also in Police Squad. Ah. Oh. He was one of the people that gets murdered at the beginning. Right. Because he was a celebrity. <laughs> Got murdered. Uh, yeah, so it looks like this might be during one of the downturns. Mm. Um, he... Yeah, he, he the Star Trek the animated series was going on at this point. So but that was kind of a stopgap because no one had any money. Mm. So yeah, I think there's I think this was during one of his downturns. Right. But it's I mean either way that doesn't necessarily cuz he I don't don't think William Shatner was ever the sort of man who just took crap. Right. Like that doesn't necessarily mean that everything he picked was gold, but I mm. actually think he was a man who picked roles because they had something specific to say. Okay. I mean, at this point in his career, he could have 
just done schlock because he had already been Captain Kirk. And yeah. with the fact the animated series got made, because by that point, there'd already been a big fan backlash to bring Star Trek back. Mm. So the fact that animated series was going means that he already had a growing popularity again from the Star Trek fan base. Yeah. Which means he could have done anything. The fact that he chose to do this, this is not something you do if you just if you can't be asked. Because mm. he did a lot of his own riding as well. Yeah. Did a lot of his own stunt riding. I, I, don't get me wrong. Yeah, there's it's obviously not a lazy some... performance. No. Um, and he does try it in a lot of these scenes. A lot of his acting is very good. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I, it doesn't feel like a half-ass sort of, uh, fuck yeah. it, I'll just cash in the paycheck sort of role. Yeah. I think he got interested in this because of the profound dialogue. And that's... Yeah. And I I do see your point. It did that line can be read as ooh profound. Let me be profound now. Yeah. Um. And again, I think Shatner does that better when he's under he underplays it. Yeah. So another big negative in this film for me, um, although this may to give it the benefit of the doubt, could be more to do with the time it was made, is the heavy-handed use of auditory flashbacks yes so i think that might have been a product of its time not necessarily though that Mm. would seem like a lazy way to just go yeah that's what they all did Mm. um i think there's there's a mixture of things number one a product of its time 1974 they hadn't yet you know gotten certain cinematic ideas mastered yet but i think also some of that is a little bit lazy uh, yeah. Because there's it's multiple characters, it happens to as well. Yeah, it happens to Angie Dickinson's character. Yep, it happens with, to Shatner's character, uh, Shatner, and to the villain yep. as well. And also point. the uh, the young. In fact, the only the one the main guy. character it doesn't happen to is Robert, Robert Reed. Reed. Yeah. Oh no, I um, think he does have it at one point. No, I don't think. No, he I don't did. think he does. But the thing is, especially in the case of the the younger guy with the curly hair. It's literally an auditory flashback of a scene that happened 10 minutes earlier. It's like, guys, we know. (laughs) So I think the reason for that, part of the reason for that is a little bit lazy writing. However, I think some of that might be because it was made for TV. As we said, there's certain points where you can People might have tuned in after a first commercial. Yeah, yeah. Um, or it might just, yeah, you need a reminder. By the way, you've spent five minutes of commercials. Now, by the way, this guy has thought this. Um it does feel heavy-handed when it's edited back together into its yeah. film format. And to be honest, you could probably have saved about 10... It's an hour and 40 minutes long. You could probably have saved about 10 minutes mm. by trimming down a little bit of the biking bits and those a lot of the, flashbacks. A lot of the start could have gone. Yeah. There's a lot of the... The film doesn't get going, at least for me it didn't. The film doesn't get going until they make it to the first town. Yeah. And they're in yeah. the bar drinking. Yes. Now, that I will say that, from my experience, is very common of 70s movies. Mm. Um, that was very common with... Uh, so, there's... the oh, I've mentioned it before. There's a, an amazing film called Wages of Fear that was made in the... 50s? 50s, I think. Or might be 60s. I remember being surprised it was as late as it was because it's black and white. But Wages of Fear is an incredible movie. It's got quite a slow-paced start. Mm. When they did, uh, William Friedkin, who made um, The Exorcist, Exorcist, actually did a remake of Wages of Fear in the 70s called Sorcerer. And for me, the benefit of doing the remake would be to tighten up the bits that didn't quite hit the nail on the head in Wages of Fear. Sorcerer is also a shiter name, by the way. Should have kept Wages of Fear. But anyway... But the, he didn't trim down the intro. In fact, if anything, I didn't. I, I liked the way the intro was done less in Sorcerer because you got to know a lot more about the characters 
which you didn't really need in the way that it was done. But it sort of flashes in, like you get five minutes. This is how th- this is who this guy is and why he's on the island. This is who this guy is and why he's on the island. Ironically, a bit like Wild Hogs, which starts off with like here's Eclipse. Oh, by the way, here's who John Travolta's character is. This is where Tim Allen's character is. This is where this character is. It does that, but for longer, yeah, because it's a more serious storyline. Um, it, it seemed to be a common thing in the 70s that the, the beginning of your film was a bit of a slower burn. Yeah. Duel, which was uh, Steven Spielberg's first movie, which was already all, uh, also originally a made-for-TV movie. Yeah. Uh, he then added some additional scenes to do a feature length for it. I've got that on Blu-ray as well. Um, that one also has a very slow start. It seems to be... I, I can't think of a 70s movie I've watched... That like kind of jumps straight off the line, apart from maybe Vanishing Point, but I haven't seen that for a long while. Halloween. Halloween is seventy nine mm. though. You're getting towards the tail end. Oh there. yeah, but it's still seventies. I, I I understand, but it but, literally starts with a little boy killing his sister. But that's post Star Wars. And I yeah, think, but you said seventies. That is fair. Don't change your goalposts. <laughs> no, that's fair play. But I get what you mean. It's, yeah, you do get this. This effect. was. Pre Star Wars, yeah, and Star Wars sort of, I think, one changed of changed filmmaking. It did change it. This a lot. is pre Jaws. Yes, it's a year before well, Jaws. If it's it's pre Jaws, and mm. Jaws came out before Jaws. Well, Jaws is seventy five. So this, what year was Jaws? Jaws was Jaws eighty five. No, it's seventy five. No, Jaws was Steven Spielberg's first film, so it was definitely not six. So Jaws must 71. be before this. It is before this. Yeah, because Jaws is definitely seventy five. Right. I haven't seen Jaws for ages. I've only ever seen very quick sidebar that no one cares about. Uh, I went decades of my life without seeing Jaws. Do you know why? Because I don't find sharks scary at all. No. Uh, in fact, shark. Pretty much, if you made a list of films, I would be least interested in seeing. They'd almost all have sharks. It in. would pretty much be westerns, biker movies, and sharks. Right. They're like the three topics I just could not care less about. Sure. Um, I actually finally watched Jaws. Year before last, I had to spend a night in hospital because um, I had a bit of a health scare. And I couldn't sleep because they'd hooked me up to all these machines, um, and you can't sleep. I was on the turnover ward all night, right. so there was constantly people coming in and out. Sure. So I watched Jaws on Netflix on my phone. <laughs> was it good? It was all right. I mean, it's. I can see why it was so impressive at the time it came out. Yeah. Obviously, it's aged now. Yeah, I uh, think that's... there was a jump. The bit where the body floats in at the at the you know when they go down, they dive. To yeah, z- got me with the jump scare. I was not expecting it. <laughs> it got pulled out of all the machines. Well, I don't. It was a heart monitor I was hooked up to, so it suddenly goes, <laughs> and I'm like, oh shit, they're gonna come here and be like, oh my god, he's dead. <laughs> anyway, but it's interesting because this was early seventies. For TV as well, let's be clear. It wasn't made for cinema release. No, and they generally speaking are generally, not always. Certainly in the 70s I've seen I've seen some made-for-TV movies I really like, but generally speaking, the the accepted wisdom is that made-for-TV movies aren't as good It's different nowadays because of streaming. Yeah. Like, the amount of money and stuff they spend. But generally, back certainly in the 70s, all the way up to uh, probably the last 10 years, yeah. it changed because of Breaking Bad, I think, specifically. Um, yeah, when but TV became a when, thing. Yeah, but before that point, anything that was made for TV, TV shows and made for TV movies, was like, how can we do this for 5p? Like, yeah. how can we do this for no money? And so, and, and so you didn't get the cream of the crop. Mm. 
Not unless you were very lucky and it was their first ever movie. So most of the big cinematic ideas, like ways to push cinema forward, mm. wasn't going to happen in this format. And Pray yeah. for the Wildcats, obviously, it doesn't happen in this format because it's not mm. the format for it. I still think it did very well with what it tried mm. to do. It is. A, I did tell you before we started, the beginning is a slow burn. Yeah. Um, but I think that is something that is generally true of 70s movies. Yeah. So... I lo- so but basically I don't like the film okay um, it has bits that I do like okay what sort of bits and nearly all of those bits are when it actually tries to make tension so when they are in the bar with the and there's the girl the dancing girl and you could see that um, Sam. Andy Griffith yeah. Sam thank you you could see that Andy Griffith is getting I both liked and disliked Andy Griffith as a character. His performance is pretty good. Mm. I liked that. He is a little cartoonishly evil. <laughs> um, and there's no reason for him to be evil that we're ever given. No, like, no. it's it. Did, did you miss the whole... That's the whole point of it. People with that much power who have that much control over other people... Are automatically evil. They're narcissistic. So, of course, he felt entitled to her. Mm. That was the whole point. He felt entitled to their time. Yeah. So when William Shatner told him, oh, I can't, I'm not going on the Baja trip, he got super offended yeah. and threatened to pull his business because yeah. he's a narcissist. I, no, I t- I'm the guy in charge, you know, and he's, he plays the whole fucking, oh, you know, you know just, I'm just a country boy here. You know, you're not talking yeah. about big business. But he's not just a country boy. Yeah. He's a guy who's demanding all of your time and he demands all the time of the rest. So they yeah. have no time with their wives or girlfriends. They've got no time to develop themselves yeah. because even their free time is has to all be about him. Yeah. And, and that's why when they get to uh, Baja and they find the girl at the bar and he starts deciding, he, you know, I'm entitled to... You know, I mean, Mexico, yeah. these are just Mexican people or they're just mm. they're just hippies. You hear him say it, even when he connects to people on that level. You know, I'm a hippie too, you can trust me. And then when the hippie says no, it's me, you're goddamn hippies. Yeah, you know, and this, that was the other scene I liked, yeah. is when he goes and literally tries to buy the girl. Yeah, he tries to um, like buy, uh, pay the hippie guy to have sex with his girlfriend as if she's a cheap prostitute. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and can't understand when the guy says no. Yeah. And then freaks out. And then he's like, how much money will it cost to do business? You know, it's not a yeah. case of there's a morality here. It's just, oh, come on. There's certainly a, there's, it's got to be a price to let me yeah. rape your girlfriend. And then the film makes a really interesting choice where it doesn't have him directly kill them. No. And this is where, this is why I don't like the film. I feel like the film sets up a bunch of interest. So, do you remember when it ended? Yeah. When he dies, spoiler, I turned to you and was like, is that it? Is it over? That's because I felt that the film had set up a bunch of interesting things to talk about. Okay. And then instead decided, oh no, let's just do a a, An a bike ending. fight yeah. and drop him off a cliff. So and what, I was what... a bit like, what? Because I thought we were going to talk about... Because most other films... Even me, I'll even admit, I probably would have it. I probably would have had him actually kill them. I would have had him literally hit the guy with his axe. Yeah, and then, um, and then maybe have the woman run off into the desert to escape, and then she dies that way. Yeah. Um, or if you want to be a real schlocky filmmaker, literally have him rape her, um, which is clearly what he's trying to do. And, yeah, and yeah, back yeah. then, seven, obviously not made for TV films, but 70s era exploitation films you definitely would have had the rape scene yeah yeah um and it would have been uncomfortably long yeah this um, was in a weird time frame because there was a lot of 
dark exploitation films, but this obviously yeah. being a TV movie never got to hit that bar. Yeah. Um, and then obviously you've got the younger gentleman whose name I can't remember, but the one with the curly hair who thinks his wife's Terry. pregnant. Terry. Yeah. He's having to, cause he's kind of an accomplice to it. Yeah. He's an, he's um, an yeah. Cause he didn't really try and stop yeah. him. And now he, and he's holding the secret for him. You won't tell the police. He won't tell the others. Yeah. And then this is they the, completely easily guess. Yeah. That's what the fuck's happened. And then this is the other interesting thing you've got, which is, uh, one by one, William Shatner starts to realise that everyone else in his group is just going to keep their mouth shut. Yeah. Even though they don't agree with what Sam Farragut's done, yeah, they're going to keep their mouth shut because it can benefit their career. As we see with Terry, he actually says to him, quit the agency and be my art director for Farragut Industries. Yeah. And you can tell when he says that, he goes, me and Terry were talking and uh, he's no longer with the agency. He's going to be on my team. You can tell Terry's like, oh, did we have that conversation? Mm. That conversation never but, happened. But he's relieved because it benefits him. Of course. Yeah. And I just... I felt the film was going to delve into that more sure. and, and have a bit of a... I'm, I guess what I'm disappointed in, and I shouldn't... Because it's an older film and films were more black and white back then. I thought there was going to be more of a temptation on William Shatner. Sure. Of a, you know, a sort of, look, man, everyone else is giving in. You should just... And have him sort of... But he doesn't. He very much is in that, He's no, the I'm only, the good yeah. guy, damn it. He's the only moral man in the group. Yeah. Even though he isn't, cause because he's, he's banging who... his friend's wife. Well, he, he... Which Spe- goes yeah. nowhere. No, You've got to give me that. That so... didn't go anywhere. No, that's true. Uh, they... It suggested that only happened once as well. See, I thought film. what was going to happen... It wasn't constant. It was They sat no. together once. She wanted to keep going, and he so was what, like, no. What I personally would have done, not that I'm an amazing filmmaker, no. is I would have had Farragut trying to buy off Shatner. Yeah. You know, oh, I'll get you to stay at the company, or I'll do this, or I'll do that. They carry on their journey. Um, Shatner's still refusing. So then one night while they're around the campfire... He Farragut's next scheme is okay because this is what narcissists do. Yeah. Right. I need to manipulate all your friends against you. Yeah. So he lets slip that Shatner's banged his friend's wife. So you now turn them against character on him. Yeah. And then you're almost doing. There's yeah. I will admit that's actually a really good idea, and that is potential that the film well, didn't explore. I thought that was going to be like the second end of the second act twist. Right. I didn't realise we were near the end of the film. No. But because it, it, I mean, you, you say the first act was too long. Well, this but is you, the point. The second it, act was so quick you didn't even see it. Well, this is the thing. It, it's because the first act felt completely inconsequential right. for the most part. Yeah. Because it really does feel like the film doesn't start till they're on the bikes. No, absolutely. Um, That's the, a common thread with this sort of film, I think. Mm. Um, we've said that before. There was... Which film did we watch before? It's like, it doesn't really start until this happens. Uh, was it Spy Kids? I think it might be Spy Kids. Because that really doesn't start until Antonio Banderas and Carla Gugino get kidnapped. No. Um, there's there's quite, yeah. Uh, an there's, Atomic Blonde, I think, yeah. as well. Maybe. There's probably, a, to be fair, that, that might be one of the VGMP episodes we did as well. Yeah. It's like, it doesn't really start until this happens. It's quite a common thing, because yeah. it's normally a, an inciting incident that starts yeah. the actual story. So, off. basically, my thoughts on Pray for the Wildcats, because I, I didn't, I'm not going to sit here and claim it's one of the worst films I've ever seen. It's not. Also, it's a TV movie, so I judge it less harshly compared to, say, a m- massive multi-million dollar budgeted yeah, sure. uh, thingy. I just... Obviously, I'm already not interested in bikers as it is. Sure. But I just... Yeah, it, it, that is the big thing. It, 
sometimes a film doesn't go where you think it's going to go and that's a good thing in this case it was a bad thing for me oh. because i thought more was going to be made of this moral dilemma that's fair. and i'd rather it not have i suppose it always was going to but I, I would rather it not have devolved into an action sequence. Sure. Um, especially, w- and I guess I'd rather, rather than just kill Sam in a Have some fiery... justice acted against him. Yeah. yeah. Um, also, yeah. also I, I don't know, because I don't ride bikes, you ride bikes. Would a bike burst into flames like i say burst into flames this explodes like a cruise missile has hit it so just from falling no uh but i will say so no it wouldn't though what i would say on that is uh i actually think that was a smart move on the film's part for this very reason it's very obviously a lower budget production Mm. It's very obviously a dummy that's on the bike when they drop it off the cliff. Not, yes, he's just... Not Andy Griffith. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't drop him off the cliff with the bike. Uh, so when it hits the ground and blows up, the explosion was a good way of hiding the dummy. Mm. So on that stake, because... Basically, I'm giving it the pass on that because it was a low-budget made-for-TV mm. production. If it was a feature film that was a multi-million dollar production, I'd be like, well, you could actually show his mangled up body, but they would not have had the budget for a decent dead puppet at the budget they had. Yeah. Uh, so for that reason, I give them the explosion. Yeah. Is that fair? I think that's fair. If you can't do a convincing... But, if, if see, it, personally... Would you have hated it more having the explosion that they have or having a meat puppet that looks like a meat puppet? See, I think you could do it. I think there's a low budget way of doing it quite easily and it wouldn't look terrible. Wouldn't necessarily look super realistic. Sure. But wouldn't look terrible. Would it have been possible in the 70s? Yeah. Okay. Um, Because, so basically, still doing falling. Yep. uh, Cut to William Shatner reacting so you don't need to see the bike actually impact the floor. Sure. And then I would have cut down to that level... So Bill Shatner's had some time to get down there and he runs up and then you could do something like, honestly, just having the bike on top of him, people would buy, oh, that's crushed him under mm. the bike. Or he's cut, he's he's fully clothed, he's got leathers on, gloves on, he's yeah, got yeah. a helmet on. Have the fucking body laying there with the helmet on the wrong way. Like, oh shit, this dude's head's been turned. Fucking... That would work really well. No, yeah. you know what? Fair play to you. That would work as well. Um, I still like the film. Yeah, cool. I take it as it is. And obviously, I'm unlike yourself, I'm not against watching biker movies in mm. general. So I've got more of a interest in the genre mm. than you do. So that helps. So I think that's a, an important distinction as well for anyone who's listening who might who might want to check out Pray for the Wildcats. Do you normally like biker films? Mm. If you don't, this probably won't change your mind. No. But if you don't mind them or you do like them... I would recommend it. Yeah. I actually think it's a good one. I like. I do if you're agree. A fan of you. toupees, William Shatner's rocking a killer toupee. <laughs> it's, it is a very obvious toupee. <laughs> it's more obvious than his Star Trek toupees. Mm. Um, Was he in toupees even by Star Trek? Apparently so. Well, wow. certainly by the films he would have been. Um, I, I know. I know Sean Connery was when he was Bond. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, he'd he'd already pretty much gone bald by the time he played Bond. Wow. You know when someone's balding and they like for example, um Unfortunately, yes I do. <laughs> you know, um Jean Claude Van Damme I was gonna say for yeah. some reason. <laughs> the guy who played John Luc Picard, Patrick Stewart. Yeah. You know why he didn't have a wig, don't you? Oh Because oh, he I, refused I, I... to pay. Already oh, oh. I was about. I was about to say. I think I've seen. I was going to give a serious answer. Sorry, I'm, I, sh- I'm sure. No, I saw he actually it. did bring over a wig for the part because Gene Roddenberry was like, "This guy can't be bald. It's impossible in the future to be bald. He must have a wig." So yeah, he brought they, over a wig. Yeah, he, they were acting like being bald was a shame. It's yeah. a good job they let him be bald because actually that'd be one of them things where that show would be looked back on quite badly if they'd have done that. Absolutely not a very body positivity thing yeah it? it was kind of weird because Gene Roddenberry was the reason they were like but we don't mind if he's bald and he was like no he can't not in the future can't be bald that's ridiculous no, blah 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 so were there no balds in TOS absolutely no one ever not, not, not human even, anyway not the guest actor not, not human no right um, there might there was a couple of bald aliens, but that's why they were alien. Uh, <laughs> sounds like uh, sounds like sounds like, sounds like a hair ra- shit. a hair racist to me. Yeah. But yeah, basically he wore the. There's actually footage of him wearing the wig mm. for. Um, like test shots mm. and when they showed the test shots to Gene Romney he went oh yeah this guy's really good take that stupid wig off him though I don't know who the hell suggested that they're like you like that was you <laughs> but anyway so An that's example was of a narcissistic boss that's kind of a big thing with Gene Roddenberry uh, even people who love Star Trek and love Gene Roddenberry for Star Trek gave him the title the great bird of the galaxy and stuff like that he was not necessarily the best in his personal life um, and he, he created quite a lot of problems later on uh, during the run of, runs of Star Trek he was involved in. Yeah. Uh, in fact, he created a big fan campaign to have Wrath of Khan cancelled before it was made. Yeah, I'd be saying. So, like, yeah, this whole stuff where we're like fans backlashing against new versions of stuff. Yeah, I knew. It's been, oh, no, it's been, been around for time. forever. Um, but yeah, so pray for the Wildcats. Uh, I, honestly. I, I'm intrigued by your view on it. Mm. I don't agree with you that it it's not enjoyable necessarily or not, but I can understand why it's not enjoyable for you. Mm. Um, do, do you but agree? I do agree with your with your estimation of things that could have been improved. Because mm. one of the things I loved about the film, as a biker film specifically, is that it's not just about tough nights going. Yeah, I'm on a bike, rum 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 rum. It was about it was I had an anti capitalist bent. It was talking about narcissism within an industry. It was talking about how work takes over your life, destroys your. Um, relationships. Mm. It had a lot of that extra shit in it yeah. that you don't you normally do expect of a bike. Oh, you know what? I'd love to do a remake of it. And, and you, with you, we could we could yeah. actually knuckle down a little bit more yeah. on those ideas that you brought forward because I actually agree with you on them. Yeah. Um, the film well, could be better yeah. with those things. I don't necessarily think that the film is bad without them, mm. but I do... I do agree with you that yeah. those would have made a really cool improvement. Should we keep the tradition of casting a usually a comedy actor as the villain? So Adam Griffith, Sandler as the villain. You know what? I wouldn't be against it. Um, but I mean, Andy Griffiths at the time was mostly known for doing a comedy TV series. Yeah, the Andy Griffith show. Yeah. So who who does a comedy TV series now that you would put as this super serious? Could it? Should, should we do Sheldon from The Big Bang Theory? Could do Sheldon from The Big Bang Theory or Key from Key and Peele? Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. bald as well. Keegan Michael Key. Yeah. 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 Uh, you can. <laughs> I bet he could be sinister. Yeah. I, oh, I, no doubt he can be sinister. But yeah, there's yeah, there's it, it has that kind of 
it would be that if we were to recast it and we had our pick of anyone. I don't know. I think you'd have to go underdog with it to mm. make it work. I don't think it's a film that needs big stars in it. No. Um, especially because something like this these days, it'd go straight to Netflix. You wouldn't be looking at a cinematic release, I don't think. No, they're not, they wouldn't be looking at going, oh, but let's put this up against the Avengers and see if it wins. Yeah. You know? <laughs> then again, um, nothing's going to beat the Avengers right now. No. Um, I, I don't know why, but I feel like this is the sort of film Josh Brolin would do good in. Josh Brolin would be good? He's, He's good in almost anything, though, Josh Brolin. Yeah, I like Josh Brolin. Um would you agree that the the best scenes and it's fine if you don't obviously mm. uh the best scenes in it are those menacing scenes where he's being villainous yes and no so yes because i agree with you they are brilliant and they are some of the best scenes mm. no because i don't think they're the only good scenes i i, I know you weren't a huge fan of them but some of the profound scenes mm. really struck me uh the scene with at the beginning with the doctor surgery, but mostly the scene where he tries to talk his friend, Robert Reed into joining him to talk to the police. Yeah. I liked that That scene, but there was a shot right at the end of that scene. Like the scene itself was brilliant. You got, you immediately got everything about the four characters as well. You had Sam chatting up the Mexicans and being like, you know, that being the center of the tension and the party all around him. You had Terry trying to join him going, hey, yeah, living the American dream, man. And being looked at like he's a piece of shit by Sam. But also some bitterness to him as well, because he's obviously bitter that he's now party to this. Yeah. The way he's sort of saying, hey, Sam, like that. I don't know if it was meant to be this or if it was just the actor's performance, but it, to me, it was coming across like it does. You know, when you're pissed off at someone, yeah. but you hide it usually. But then, when you have a few drinks, it you can't out. hide it as much. I think that's. I think that's, that's why I never drink around you. <laughs> that's a lie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I know. If you hadn't have driven here today, I was going to break my hundred day streak. And well, lucky I rode here then. Have some drinks. The... thirsty. <laughs> what I will say about uh, Terry's character in that scene as well was that um, it's very obvious that he felt entitled. It was like, well, I'm hiding the secret for you. You know, I should be included in your celebration, yeah. not shot away. Yeah. You can see that Robert Reed was distasteful of it, mm. of the whole shebang. And then when he goes outside to speak to William Shatner, who is not uh, Warren in this, he is William Shatner. Now, uh, <laughs> he goes outside to talk to Warren and they have a dialogue and there's that scene where he's really trying to bring him along. Mm. And it's like, you know, we'll go together, buddy. And it's like that that emotional hit worked for me yeah. as well as the arguments they had when they arrive at the next town mm. and they're talking in the daytime about... Um, basically, when they call out Terry, uh, all of the characters seem to be really well written and resolved. You knew who was who. You weren't sitting there going, I didn't really know what this character was about. Yeah, they were very well defined. So, um, before we wrap up, pray for the wildcats Sorry, and move yes. on to wild hogs. There was one part of the plot that I don't understand why it was in the film, and okay. I wonder if maybe you saw some insight that I didn't. Sure. What's the point of the baby subplot? So the baby subplot, that's an interesting one because you're right; it kind of comes in and out very quickly. Mm. So. It, the baby subplot is basically Terry's character. He's the young, he's the young hippie guy in the business. You know, you're meant to be the young rebel with hair like that and wearing a suit like that. Um, he's following into corporate policy even before the Baja run. He's, you know, he spends his whole work, his time off of work, painting designs for Farragut Industries and, you know, ignoring his girlfriend. His girlfriend is trying to do everything for him. 
but she wants some attention, as you probably would in a relationship. And she, when she starts questioning him about it, he's like, no, I'm too busy, babe. You know, I've got all this stuff to do, all this corporate work. You know, why don't you take the night afternoon off like you used to, you know, and we can go blah, blah, blah. And then she reveals at the end of the scene that she's pregnant. And he's like, oh. She's like, well, just tell me, yes or no, do you want me to keep it? And he does the worst answer, quite possibly. He's just like, uh... That zoom in on him. Yeah. Oh, that zoom. That's very 70s and very bad. Yeah, the zoom in sometimes I did in some of the scenes. Like, <gasps> punctuated with the zoom in. Dude, like, I did it's, that in the 90s with the camera. It's, it's the fact that his reaction's out of time with it. Yeah. What that should be is a, <gasps> and the camera comes dun, in. Dun, but dun. the camera goes in, and there's a full second, <laughs> and then he goes, <gasps> That's not his fault. That's the cameraman. <laughs> but yeah, that is stupid. Um, but yeah, so he... Does this, you know, he doesn't give her an answer before he goes. Mm. And when he gets back, he decides throughout the trip, he gets drunk and everything else. He says, you know, oh, I'm going to live the family life. So he, is it a punishment for his indecisiveness? I think it is. Because when he's out there, and after he's witnessed what Sam Farragut does, he then gets drunk. And he's like, hey, I'm living the American dream. I'm going to get married. I'm, I'm going to have a baby. Yeah. I'm going to have two kids. I'm going to do this, blah, blah, blah. And then when he gets home, he's like, hey, babe. You know, everyone, he's come hoping. It's like, oh, welcome back. Let's have a family. And he's just like, uh, yeah. you know, watch, he's asked her about the baby. And she goes, what? There isn't it's, a baby anymore. Yeah, it's too late. Yeah. It's too late, basically. But, and he's like, oh. And so basically, I don't think she's yeah. going to stay with him either. She's lost all respect for him. Yeah. Same with the other guy. Yeah. So she Robert Reed loses his wife. Yeah. If you, you know, it's William Shatner's wife never says to him, oh, by the way, I know you've been banging Angie Dickinson. Well, so, again, I think it's... Earlier on, she says she's already knew about she it. She already knew about it. And she only knew it only happened once. So it happened once while they were drunk or something, I think. Yeah. But where it happened once and it hasn't recurred, and because she loves him so much, she let it pass. Yeah, um, that's basically the reason. Uh, but I, I, I would agree that that's not great. <laughs> Look for no. that character that she basically just rolled over and took it. Yeah. They could have done a little bit more. There could have been a bit more reconciliation on that against Bill Shatner's character yeah. when he got back from the Baja trip. Yeah. I'm just not sure you needed that subplot at all. I think that was so you... Yeah. Other than just to be like, oh, he's not perfect. I think that was to keep the wives in the story because yeah. otherwise you didn't need the wives in the story. No. So Angie Dickinson's character had slept with Bill Shatner's character just so she could have a bit of insight that his wife didn't have so they could have that tense yeah. bit later which is like, I've slept with your husband. Yes, I know. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> that was like, oh, okay. Paint the room, sunset beige. Sunset beige. Okay. Well, I think that's probably it for Pray for the Wildcats. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we're going to take a small pee break, and then we're going to talk about wild hogs. So on to wild hogs then. Um, so I had seen this film before. Yep. Uh, a couple times. I saw it not too long after it came out mm. originally. Uh, I didn't see it in theatres, but I saw it on DVD. And then I saw it last year, me and you watched it. Yep. Um because it's brilliant. My, so this is my third time seeing it. I watched it late last night. Nice. Didn't fall asleep, so that's good. Yep. It's usually a good sign. Um, <laughs> I have weird feelings about this film because I recognise that it's also I recognise that it's not a great film, but I don't hate it. I I've seen it three times. I wasn't bored any of the three times, which is my baseline for films. Um, it has a couple of jokes that did make me laugh. 
um, which was good. There were a couple that actually got me to laugh, even though this is the third time I've seen the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were some jokes that I recognised as being very lazy, where I was like, for example, we get two Two. One would have been fine. Yeah. But within the first ten minutes of the movie, you get two William H Macy crashes off of his bike jokes. Yes. Um, a Dudley, I think his character's Dudley, called. Yeah. Um, the first one is the better one. Yeah. Which is where he hits the real estate sign, isn't it? Is that the one where he spins the bike and breaks it and has to ride on the back of Travolta's no. bike? No. Okay. He then has another crash where That's he has to ride on Travolta's bike. Yeah. Smells like a. Cowboy, what was it? Cowboy lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, as you said, this film starts with us getting introduced to all of the characters one by one in one like by individual one. vignettes. Aren't yeah. They? So Tim Allen is playing. So they're all obviously middle-aged men. Mm. Tim Allen is playing a father who is a dentist, uh, but does that typical thing that you always get in films where he's like, but I'm a doctor, I'm a doctor, and all the real doctors are like, no, you're a dentist. You know what's uh, interesting about that is uh, dentists, they're not regist- like registered as doctors, mm. but so there's something, in the Britain there's something called the GMC, yeah. General Medical uh, Council. Council. Which deals with uh, doctors, but there's also one for dentists. Yeah. But actually, the registration process is almost exactly the same. Yeah. Because basically, dentists are doctors. Of course, they're doctors. There's just for some reason we decide they're not the same. Yeah. Even though they both do surgery on the body. I know. It's such a weird distinction. We've decided that dentistry and doctoring is not the same. Yeah. It's a fucking weird, and it's it's only cultural. Yeah. Don't know why. It's a purely cultural distinction that we've made. Like the color brown, that doesn't exist. But we've made it as a cultural distinction that it does exist. Brown doesn't exist. The colour brown doesn't exist. It's dark orange. What? Do you not know that scientifically brown does not exist? Brown's light to black. No, it's not. It's dark orange. Is it? Tell me this. Have you ever seen a brown light? An actual light... Like an, a source of light that's oh, brown. Oh, I see what you mean. It's not yeah. because brown is only only looks brown to the human eye in uh, relation to things that are darker than uh, lighter than itself. Mm. So when you so you can actually do this test at home if you want to do this test. It's mm. quite an interesting piece of science. Make get MS Paint up and make two pictures. One just to put a select what you think is brown, whatever brown shade you want. Make a brown square in the middle of the page. And then surround the rest of it in white. Save that image out. Now save it out again, but this time with black instead of white. Don't change the brown. Keep the brown the same. Open up the image, full screen it, so all you can see on the screen is the image. Turn off every other light source. So all you can see is the light coming from the screen. Mm. Now, whenever you have the brown square on the white background, you will see the color brown. When you switch to the one with the black background, you will see orange. Because brown and orange are the same colour in different contexts. It's a confusion of the cones in your eye. Right. And to put, in, to put it another way, you can do this instead. Go open up a colour wheel in Photoshop or whatever mm. art program you have and find me brown. Right. You're going to be going to dark orange because that's where brown is because that's all brown is. Brown exists in, di- in, in our language, but it doesn't exist in science outside of being dark orange. Right. So that's what I meant by that. Okay. How do we get on to that again? I can't remember. So anyway, he's a, he's a middle-aged dad 
who is struggling to deal with the fact he's aging. Oh, that was it. We were talking about the difference between doctors and dentists. Oh, yeah. It's something that exists only in culture, not in reality. Fun fact, dentists have a really high suicide rate as a profession. That's That's, true. It's because everyone's scared of Jaws. Because everyone's scared of you. (laughs) Yeah, well, Um, imagine having a professional like, I've come to help. Ah! Yeah. A lollipop. Um, plus they know they're not real doctors. Hey, hey. Um, and he's you get a few jokes where like his family can eat because he's got to look after his cholesterol. Mm. So his family are eating real food and he's eating the worst salad in human history because it's not even a salad; it's just a plate of leaves. Yeah, this, it's just yeah. There's nothing with it. It's mm. like, dude, you could have more than that. Uh, John Travolta is a lawyer who's got a supermodel swimsuit girlfriend but we find out they're actually divorcing they're divorcing he's he keeps losing that his secret house. from everyone though doesn't he yeah. so they think he's still got the super hot wife yeah he's lost his he's lost all his big clients so he's basically broke and i actually do like his introduction where he's on the phone yeah and he's being really like cutthroat haggling about the price and you think he's talking some big company or something yeah. and then he goes on to his lawn and he's talking to the like fucking seven year old boy that yeah, yeah. mows his lawn and he's got like an acre of land that he wants the leaves yeah. um i can't do this much for ten dollars it'll take hours and you, that's you, that kind of shows you how bad a lawyer he was yeah because he can't even negotiate with the five-year-old yeah. Um, Martin Lawrence is an ex-plumber who has taken a year off to write, to a, write book. a book, but hasn't written the book. Yep. So his wife is like, right, you've got to go back to work. We can't afford it. And this was one of the few jokes that actually did make me laugh was you see a day of the day, a day in his life at work. Yep. And he gets called to a convenience store to clean out a really super shitty bathroom. Yeah, and the guy's like put danger tape over it. Yeah, and the the guy who's on the counter says he's trying to describe to him how bad it is. And he's he literally says things like, I got shot last week, but I understand you have the really bad job. Yeah, that was it. Uh, I got shot last week. I I never cry until today. So (laughs) no, no, no. So this is the one that made me lie. I saw my father die. I never cried until today. <laughs> um, and Dudley, William H. Macy's character, is the most lovable of the bunch. He's very naive, yep. a bit of a geek. Uh, we see him in a coffee shop uh, eyeing up a beautiful woman. And mm. to try and show off, he starts using voice interface yeah, on his, his Apple Mac. On his Apple Mac. And he says alternative specs. Yeah, I need to research alternative specs. Specs, and it reads it as alternative sex. And then opens up a load of grannyshaggers.com and and a bestiality one, which I just wrote here. I don't know what this is. This is just obviously some weird, immature thing I've got. Horse nays are never not funny. Horse. Horse nays. (laughs) <laughs> oh, <laughs> the, no- the noise a horse makes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They neigh. Sorry, when you said nays, I expected N-A-S-E, and I was like, what's that word? <laughs> <laughs> um, so that did make me laugh. Um, they're all friends. They go out. That They're what's referred to as weekend warriors. Yep. Uh, they go out on their motorbikes at weekends, but really we get the feeling... They don't go very far. No, they just go around the city. Uh, and here's a joke that's a bad joke in the film. Like, it's a bad joke is they go on about how... Uh, what's Tim Allen's character's name? Tim? The Golden Knight? <laughs> I can't remember his character's Bob, name, actually. Bobby is Martin Bobby Lawrence. Bobby is Martin Lawrence. You've got... Dudley is William. I think they're all E names, aren't they? Yeah. Doug. 
Doug. And then I called, you know, um, the Wild Hogs patches were sewed by Doug's wife. And um, Doug sort of snaps back at John Travolta and goes, yeah, my wife made the patches. What has your wife ever made? As obviously his wife's a swimsuit model. And Martin Lawrence, in front of John Travolta, (laughs) goes hard. (laughs) Never. Let me tell you what would happen if a group of friends were together. And one openly admitted to getting hard over his other friend's wife. That's her job. They'd either get punched in the face, or they'd be like, oh, hey, yo, wee, yo, wee, yo, wee, yo. I mean, John, I mean, they're not all of these Italian-Americans, but the... Uh... <laughs> no, but you be, no, but you become Italian-American if someone says they got a boner over your wife. <laughs> to be fair, John Travolta acts offended by this, so... It's, As he uh, should. Yeah, so it's not like the film doesn't actually pay that off somehow. And there is one other terrible joke that I'm going to just bring up. It doesn't happen until later in the film, but I'll bring it up now so I can put my notepad down. Later on, when they're at the Del Fuego bar for yep. the first time, and things start to go wrong, because yeah. they're going to trade Dudley that awful bike, aren't they? Yeah. There is an awful joke, and it's another Martin Lawrence one, where he straight up stands there and says... Anyone else getting that pre-rape <laughs> feeling? And one of the bikers goes, I do. <laughs> it's awful. Pre-rape feeling. Yes. Oh, no. Yes. That was uh, Kevin Durand, by yeah, the way, who, who is now in an awful lot of different stuff. Mm. Uh, he's a he's brilliant in the actor. Re- he's in the Resident Evil movies. Yeah. He's, he's a, Barry Burton. He's a brilliant actor. He's an okay actor. He's been in so much various stuff. You wouldn't, he's been in The Vikings... He's, he he played a guy who pretended to be Heimdall uh, in the Vi- series of The Vikings. Uh, he's been, he's done on he had a convincing enough accent to be fair. Mm. Um, yeah, it's just that he's well known for schlock more than he is for yeah. certainly during the two thousands. He was in a yeah. lot of schlocky garbage, but he's but, actually quite a good actor. I I wouldn't write him off mm. just because he's been in Resident Evil and Wild Hogs. Yeah. My big um. Yeah, so as I said, I don't hate this film. I quite like it, actually. Mm. It's a good, Uh, fun time. It's mostly very fun. Um, The cast have a good... uh, They have a good chemistry, the cast do. Yeah, you feel that they're Uh, friends. Yeah. William H. Macy is the best actor in this. Um, He's the most experienced actor. And and Marissa Tomei as well. Yep. She's Um, always hot. And a good actress. Yes. No, I'm joking. Yeah, she's a fantastic actress. Um, she's Aunt May as well in the MCU. Because they keep... Why'd you say Martha? Because they, they keep <laughs> making Aunt May younger. Have you noticed Yeah, this? I know, yeah. In the Sam Raimi ones... It's, <laughs> Aunt May's going to be 12 in it, the next one. <laughs> I, actually can't, I actually can't remember her name in the Sam Raimi ones. And I'm, I'm so sorry. But she is, you know, an actual granny. Like, she's yeah, yeah. old as shit. Yeah, I remember the um, Sam Raimi ones. Then in the Andrew Garfield ones, it's Sally Field from Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, blimey. Who's yeah. only, like, in her 50s, I think, at that point. You sure? Because I thought she was in the well, like, she, she mid looks, to late 30s in the Well, she 90s. looks like she's only in her 50s. Well, remember the she... Andrew Garfield ones are like 2010 and 2012 they were made, mm. I think. They're still the new ones to me because I haven't seen mm. them. And then the M- <laughs> the MCU ones, it's fucking Aunt May. And you're walking around well, like... Marissa Tomei. It's, yeah, it's Marissa yeah. Tomei, sorry, as Aunt May. Yeah, um, debasing herself in and an R- RDJ movie. wants to get all up in that business. Well, who wouldn't? And but it's, it's like, well, to be fair, it's like, who blames you? You're going home to Gwyneth Paltrow every night, Iron Man. 
Yeah, Marissa Tomei versus Gwyneth Paltrow. That's an Marissa easy Tomei choice. every time. Not even. It's not even she, an argument. She doesn't have a candle that smells like a vagina. Exactly. exactly. Anyway, we are off topic. But so here's a problem I Is have. Is that with candle the film. made of wax or? <laughs> Who knows. <laughs> so here's a problem I have with the film that we, we need to talk about. Okay. Um, I don't have as much of a problem with it to the point where it stops me watching the film and enjoying the film. Mm-hmm. It just makes me roll my eyes. And I believe this is what you were alluding to when you said it hasn't aged super well in some areas. Yes. There is a lot of gay panic in this movie. So, I, I want to question that because you watched... I mean, I've watched it a lot, but you watched it last night. Yeah. So you've And you watched it with a critical eye taking notes. And you did tell me earlier that you've taken mm. notes on how much gay panic is in it. Yeah. Now... I don't remember there being a lot of gay panic. I remember that obviously the the gay police officer. You can't get around that's the fact the really that's, yeah, yeah, that's obvious gay panic. There's and there's also a bit later in the pool, even before the gay police officer arrives again. Yeah, when the four guys are swimming naked and the family come up and uh, they're well, like, "Oh my god!" Um, here's the but, funny thing: the majority of the gay panic. And it doesn't help because he's right wing. The majority comes from Tim Allen and John Travolta. Now, I don't know because it's not so much from Martin Lawrence as much. No. And William H. Macy is usually the butt of the joke when it comes to the gay panic jokes. Right. Um, so, for example, I'm just going to straighten my leg out. Sorry, because it's cramping. That's yeah, right. Um, you start the first one I think of. I might be getting these slightly in the wrong order. But he gets the rainbow tattoo of the Apple logo. That. Oh, no, 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 no. No, no, I'm not giving you that one. I'll tell you for why. Mm. That was the legit logo of Apple at the time. I'm not saying that's not the logo, but their reaction to it... That's because it was an Apple tattoo. It's not... He was like, oh, this is a cool bike attack. Like, it makes Mm. him hardcore. And it was the Apple logo, which is, like, it's corporate BS. That wasn't... That wasn't to do with homosexuality because the rainbow Apple logo mm. was actually the logo Apple was using at the time. Was it? Yes. Were we on to IMAX by that point? No, because they so had... the plain black Apple? No, no, no. That was later, I think. Because they, they... I think this was at the time where... Certainly bear in mind that it would have been made the year prior. 2006 then. Yeah. The Apple Macs that were in service at that point, I think, were the translucent ones with the colourful backs. Right. So I think they were still okay. using the multicolor logos. That's why it didn't then, click for me. Then you have how ridiculously uncomfortable John Travolta is when he's got William. Now I don't. You might be able to tell because you're a bike rider. If this is the actual term, but when he has William H Macy riding bitch, is that the actual term? Yeah. His <laughs> his his reaction when he's like, "Did you just smell my neck? Don't ever smell my neck." That's because smelling someone's neck is weird. It's weird, but there's no need for him to go if off like he If I sniffed your does. neck right now and you got freaked you out, lit- you wouldn't be going, oh, that's gay. No, that's it's normal because- behaviour for yeah. you. No, I you- never sniff your neck. You sniff my neck. When you- have I ever sniffed you your neck? poke me, despite I being, poke you despite being asked repeatedly not to. That's because you're pokeable. No, I'm worried now <laughs> that you're going to end up up on charges. <laughs> I'm only joking. Anyway. But no, I've never sniffed your neck. I, I doubt that. I'm, but why anyway, would I sniff your neck? So, and it, there's loads of stuff like that where it, it's usually Travolta, actually. I say Tim Allen, it's yeah. usually John Travolta. So I will say the sniffing the neck thing, sniffing someone's neck is weird. Mm. But yeah, I'm pretty certain there's a gay panic element to that. Yeah. I, you know, even you can read it without it, to mm. be fair, because it's just weird to sniff someone's neck. Yeah. But yeah, I'm pretty certain there's a gay panic yeah. element to that. And it, a, a lot of the attitude to William H. Tracy, just because he's a sensitive character... 
is that sort of toxic masculine sort of, oh, you make us feel a bit uncomfortable because you're so... Is that a problem? I, I ask this... I, honestly, I ask this genuinely... Well, it's one of the ways in which it hasn't aged well, is what I'm saying. Because now we kind of have we come still to a do point that where we like... Because we, we do that humour all the time. Do we? As a society... It's been in, like think okay so looking at the era in which it was made mm. there's actually very tame on the gay panic mm. and on the fact on and on the bullshit toxic masculinity they even call it out at the end of the film they call out the fact the Delfuegos are like the hyper masculine guys mm. and Tim Allen's character is the one that calls them out going oh like you know you think you you think you're tough mm. guys but you know, I'm supposed to be jealous of guys mm. whose biggest choice is do I shit over there or do I shit over there by that mm. bush? Do I, do I wear sleeveless or sleeveless? Yeah. You know, so they do call out the toxic yeah. masculinity and, throughout and, the film. And then they can't resist going too far during the... Um, there's a sequence that plays during the credits, isn't there? There's mm. a parody of Extreme Home Makeover. Yes. And of course, we've got to have tough guy Ray Liotta fully humiliated. But that was so funny. By having him... Was it? His reaction was the best. It makes me wet myself now. Well, because he's probably like... <laughs> yeah. It, oh, mate, it's so good. Um, but yeah. Um, <laughs> and jo- John Travolta, especially, like when they... When they all go skinny dipping as well, like skinny, everyone yeah, so it, again, it's Travolta's dipping. the big one because yeah. the rest of them are kind of like. Obviously, William H Tracy just don't. William H Tracy is the real alpha in this group, by the yeah, way. Yeah, because he jumps he just in don't and he goes, care. "Oh, did you give us keep your skivvies on? I thought we were doing this whole young and reckless sort of thing." Yeah, he and just, he calls them out on the, their yeah. on their gay panic. Well, he, the thing about William H Tracy, why he's the best character in it, other than being the best actor, is he is unapologetically afraid to be himself. Yes. Uh, whereas Martin Lawrence is constantly kowtowed by his wife. Yep. Um, Tim Allen and John Travolta are always putting on an overly masculine image. Yes. Um, but William H. Race is just like, no, this is who I am. This is what I'm like. So like I say, he just boldly walks in, cl- clearly got nothing to hide. So but clearly has a huge dong. He's the uh, biggest winner. Oh he yeah, gets he gets Marissa, Marissa Tomei. So again, like the, the idea that this is overly hyper toxically mm. masculine. Yeah. It does touch on those themes. It's mm. a biker movie. But it does A, call them out, and B, the one guy who was himself the whole fucking time Wins. is the biggest winner. Yeah. but the, um, And I'll be honest, I, I, I relate a lot to William H. Mace's character in this because yeah. I am that guy. I'm always me. And people call, like think that I'm effeminate from time to time. But you got fuck an apple it. tattoo. Huh? You got an apple tattoo. I haven't got an apple tattoo. No, I've got get no, Sega. If I, if, yeah, I would get a Sega tattoo. On though, your butt cheeks. Though, yeah. <laughs> Those certain people we know probably wouldn't ever talk to me again it, for it, having a tattoo. Train yourself so that when you fart, you squeeze your butt cheeks in a way that it comes out. Sega! Fuck That's explosive diarrhea there. <laughs> yes. Anyway. Force a hard reset. <laughs> uh, what's the equivalent of Red Ring of Death for a... For a Dreamcast. Oh, blimey. get the red triangle of no, death. It, it, that just resets itself when the, yeah. when the my, connectors get... No, that's bored. what my Dreamcast... That's how my Dreamcast ended. It got Yeah, to... you can fix that. Oh, can you? Yeah. My mum just threw it away. So anyway, um, 
Yeah, it, and like I said, it doesn't. None of the gay pack stuff ruins the film for me anyway. No. I, is there any more than that? Because um, I mean, a, a lot of the gay panic again. We've already mentioned just anything to do with the gay officer and the well, generally, uh, and the skinny yeah. dipping. Uh, Those are very gay panic. The other There's one no is, getting around that. Yeah, the other one is Kevin Durand, which is Ke- Kevin Durand is clearly gay yes. in the film, and all the other bikers. <laughs> oh, they mentioned Deliverance as well, <laughs> don't they? Yeah, but he he is constantly getting punched out by Ray Liotta. Yes. Anytime he says anything that's vaguely could even hint to the fact that character's oh, gay. Oh, yeah, he goes, he uh, goes uh, uh, yeah, those I've put their balls in my mouth. <laughs> yeah, those hogs got some balls. I'm going to put them in my mouth and chew on them. You're going to put what in your yeah. mouth? Yeah, and he goes, <laughs> that guy uh, pulls the beer over that guy's head at the um, at the big festival, doesn't he? he goes, uh, MC uh, Gainey. Yeah, and he's like, <laughs> we don't, uh, you, uh, you, yeah, what's it? When we not drink gonna... piss, we drink it cold. Yeah, that's it. You think I'm going to drink this piss, piss warm beer? beer? When we drink piss, we drink it cold. Yeah. What? Um, <laughs> but you know, it is. Uh, yeah, it, it doesn't offend me or anything like that. Mm. I just I felt like some of those jokes were tired even in two thousand and seven. They're definitely tired by now. But sure. Like I said, there's other jokes that did make me laugh. I I know I shouldn't, but I do laugh when the family get in the pool and they're all naked. Yeah. And that the dad funny. goes, the dad goes, let's go dip it for crawfish. Yeah. And you know, you know, like you could see it a million miles away. You know he's gonna come up right in front of one of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course it's Travolta, Travolta. isn't it? Uh, you're right. Actually, I don't think there's. I can't think of any Tim Allen specific bits that are the gay panic. John Travolta has a lot. Mm. William H. Macy is often the butt of the joke, but again becomes the winner at the end. There isn't, even though he's cut. And literally, because at the end, he actually, the other three, they reverse the, the joke from the beginning. Yeah, the three of them smack, ride into a surfboard. Oh, don't they? While they're looking at booty, yeah, and uh, he's the only survivor. <laughs> it literally ends with him laughing, laughing at them, which is a great end. Which I'm, co- I'm convinced that wasn't in the script. I'm convinced that was William H Macy just legitimately breaking yeah. character and laughing at them. There was an alternate ending they shot because yeah. they enjoyed the gay police character mm-hmm. so much. They did an alternative ending, uh, where which is on the disc that I've got. Where basically the wild hogs are riding, and as they ride through, they go a bit oh, it's too him fast. In a song, I bet. No, 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 no. He's still in his uniform. Oh, okay. Um, and he's sitting on his bike, and he's got one of them speed guns, mm. and it, it obviously flashes up that they're too fast, and he goes, "Oh, oh thank God, thank goodness for that." And it, it ends with the, him following them up, obviously trying yeah. to chase them down. Um, but they thought that that left a bad vibe. That you know, basically they were going to get arrested at the end of the film. Uh, left a bad taste in people's mouths. I like the ending they went with instead. But also, yeah, at the time it wouldn't have been so bad necessarily having gay cop come back because he is a fun character. Mm. That character is hilarious. Mm. But in hindsight, with how things have moved forward, with and it would have been ending on a gay panic joke, mm. which is. Gay cop is now chasing boys down, yeah. um, which would uh, certainly nowadays, if not at the time, would have left a sour taste. Mm. Um, but yeah, um, do you think that people overblow the? Uh, <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> do you think oh, people overblow the amount of gay panic that's in this film? Because I know a lot um, of people criticise the gay panic, yeah, and I can understand that. Certainly, where we've had so much history of gay panic in yeah. cinema and TV, I, I, I do feel like a lot, and this is something not just with this film. I feel like it's with a lot of films. Uh, people are very guilty of making other things guilty by association. Sure. So a lot of people don't like Tim Allen. 
Yes. Uh, and I believe Tim Allen has made homophobic jokes in his stand-up and things like that. Who hasn't? And because Being honest. Of, well, yeah. Who hasn't? I, I think he's made homophobic comments um, in real life as well. I and I think, I think he's like a Trump supporter or something. But he because actually, of that... I'm pretty certain he didn't like Trump. I know he's right-wing, but he, he, did, he, he specifically said he didn't like Trump. Yeah. Well, my point is I think a lot of people... Because of just because Tim Allen is in the film, there's a lot of flash backlash against Tim Allen at the moment. Mm. I don't fully understand where it's coming from. Maybe I've missed something. Yeah, but it also seems very unfair because there isn't any backlash against Toy Story, for example, and Tim Allen's in that. There kind of is actually. Is there? Uh, well, there was a whole big deal about. Is it gay panic because there's a character no, no. called Woody? No, because he's um, <laughs> Tim Allen's Buzz, isn't he? Yes. Um, in the Lightyear film that they did, you mm. know, the one that's like the Buzz Lightyear. It's did, not him, It's though, not it? Tim Allen, and that's why. I'd, I think you'd have been too old to play Buzz in the Lightyear movie anyway, would he not? Because he's much older now. He, he played him yeah. when he was But it's, they didn't even go for someone who even closely sounds to it. I think it's oh, Chris it's Evans. Com- oh, it's a completely different voice. Yeah. Like, not even trying to sound the same. No, I think it's Chris Evans. I think. I could be I wrong. I thought the Lightyear movie was meant to be, like, the real story that the toy was based, based on. Based on, yeah. So it, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't make but, sense for it to have the same but voice. But apparently the but... reason Disney chose not to is because they're trying to end their association with him, apparently. Oh, interesting. It's funny because he made the millions. Uh, mm. You know, let, let's well, talk... Well, the Santa Claus <laughs> movies, the Toy Story films... Home Improvement. Um, home Improvement is Disney, isn't it? Ran for eight seasons. Well, this is what I'm saying. It's weird how you... It's brilliant. You know, if you just watch the internet, yeah. it's weird how you get a different view of what's happening. Yeah. Because people would have you believe Tim Allen's the devil, blah, 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 blah. No one mm. watches his stuff. His newest sitcom, Last Man Standing... Was very successful. That's gone for like eight years, I think. Yeah, I think they just finished um, the ninth season. Yeah. Um, I, I watched that. It's all right. It's not as good as Home Improvement, and it's yeah. not as good as Wild Hogs. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but it did really solid viewing figures. Yeah, it's it. What's weird is about it is I watched it because it's a right wing comedy, mm. and I thought, well, I haven't watched any right wing comedy. Usually, right wing comedy right-wing don't go comedy together. though, or are people just saying it is because it's got Tim Allen in it, so and because it is a more traditional family value sitcom. There are a couple that. So here's the thing: for the most part, it's just a, a, a sitcom. Yeah. But it's it just is, a couple of old yeah. leftists jokes. But it's right wing, I suppose, in terms of the fact that the character is right wing. Mm. One of the characters he dislikes is uh, someone who's trying to marry one of his daughters, who is very much a left wing hippie. Mm. Um, but yeah, so th- th- it does have a right wing s- swing to it, mm. and there are right wing jokes dotted throughout it. Whereas Home Improvement was never political in that way. Mm. Last Man Standing doesn't mind going into a more political vein. Right. It's certainly very right-leaning, but it's ne- it's never like... It never gets a political in so far as it's like, well, you know, Trump, good old Trump, or anything like that. Yeah. It literally just, like, lefties are weak hippies. But it does actually do some nice stories for the hippie guy to yeah. redeem that sort of side of it. And also, Tim Allen's um, character is... Uh, he is that alpha male... Um, over what's what's the word? Uh, Hyper masculine, mm. sort of like, and he overcompensating. So you know, it's like it's all about guns. You got to have guns. You got to you know. And he works in a a, a a company where he sells hunting equipment and all this sort of stuff. And he's often brought down a peg by the fact that he's you know clearly compensating. Mm. And it's not all the time. Obviously, it varies from because it's like twenty eight episodes a season. It's mm. like a traditional sitcom in that yeah. way, but. 
it's not that bad. Mm. It's also not that great. I'll be like, you know, um, Home Improvement. I always laugh my ass off at Home mm. Improvement, and I always laugh at Wild Hogs. Yeah, there are Tim Allen properties, and Toy Story is a phenomenal franchise with him in it. I've only but seen the first one. I've seen Whitling. I've seen an odd ones. I've seen one, two, and four, but I've never seen three. <laughs> and apparently, three is really good. Four was a, not really worth it. Four was yeah. just a reason to give people money, I think. Yeah. Um, but once uh, three, I don't know about, but I've heard it's incredible. Yeah. One, two are very good. And especially considering. Toy Story 2, they wrote the whole lot, started animating it, and then lost all the work. Yeah. And had to restart. Um, was inc- like The incredible turnaround on that film is insane. Yeah. And it still looks amazing for, you know, for the era it was for released. For the era, yeah. But um, either way, yeah, I, there seems to be a big backlash about Tim Allen. Maybe there's something going on in America and he said or done something that we're not aware of. But I think a lot of it is because he played an openly right-wing character in a sitcom. Yeah. People seem weirdly over... seem to be overly swayed by the media they consume right now, which I thought we were... We surely should be getting fucking past. No, no we're but going we're not. backwards. We're backsliding, yeah, in my and opinion. It, it's ridiculous. So, yeah, okay, he is right-wing. He stated so openly. He did not support Trump. Maybe he did support Trump in a vote. Who knows? I don't know what he does in a ballot box. But I remember him uh, saying on stage, going, I don't like this guy... I just am a Republican, so I'll vote that way. Now, I don't agree with him voting Republican because I'm not right-wing, but it's his vote. Yeah. He does what the fuck he we, likes We live it. in a world now where people can't accept that people think differently to them. Yeah, because also, if you start doing that and going, you know what, I won't watch this film, whether it's enjoyable or not, or this series, whether it's enjoyable or not, or these classic films, I'm talking about Toy Story, not Wild Hogs with that one, <laughs> whether they're enjoyable or not, because it's got this right-winger in it... Mm. And I'm going to eliminate this guy from this narrative because he's right wing. And this is, again, this is me being maybe ignorant. If he said something really outrageous and I'm unaware of it, I apologise in advance. But from what I've seen, I've not seen any of that. And it just seems to be a case of this guy's right wing, I don't want him in my media. Then the problem you've got is you have have no defence when people start doing it with your left-leaning shit. And when you get all of this woke culture... Um, backlash that people are coming up against which I disagree with for the most part there are times where it's very obvious that they've done something for um, stupid reasons just because it's part of the zeitgeist but for the most part people will kick off oh this is work because they've put a woman in this it's like Actually, makes sense for this story for a woman. Yeah, to yeah make, that's right. Make the racist northern in your story. But I know one. Uh, <gasps> there's <laughs> Jacques. <laughs> but basically, yeah, there's this whole. You can't then argue against people being counter woke, quote unquote. Mm. If you're going to be quote unquote woke by cancelling things you like, yeah, because they've got a right winger in them. Bear in mind, Tim Allen hasn't actually done anything akin to something like Jimmy Savile no. or anything like that. Well, You're not not even going that bad. Not as ba- as far as I'm aware, not as bad as like Mel Gibson. Mm. And we've kind of all forgiven Mel Gibson. We're nominating it's... him for Oscars again and shit. It's fucking weird who gets forgiveness and as when. Because mm. we had this with... Um... I was the guy who sung I Believe I Can Fly. R. Kelly. R. Kelly. R. Kelly was done for... Please do not say you want us to forgive R. Kelly. No, 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 right. no, no. No, what I find weird is he did get forgiven. He did. He was arrested for doing naughty things with underage people. And got off. Of and then by the time Space Jam came out, he released "I Believe I Can Fly" and did loads of really amazing. They were amazing music ballads. And people were like, "Oh, Kelly, yeah, amazing musician again." You know, 
and it was all wiped away. There was an odd mm. few comments here and there, but for the most yeah. part, wiped away. Brilliant, wonderful R. Kelly is back with back, his amazing yeah. music. And then he just did it again. And again and again and yeah. again, and now he's been trashed again. And hopefully he won't make a comeback well, I, this time. I, he's gone to jail this time, hasn't he? Yeah, but the point is, he's... Mark Wahlberg's an example. Mark Wahlberg like beat someone nearly built, to death. Yeah, in a racial racially based attack in the early nineties. Yeah, um, but this, no one bats an eyelid. Yeah, because he's now because he's not. I suppose because he's not political anymore. Obviously, the attack might have been, but that's a long time ago, and he's not political, so people give that a pass. Yeah, and. I'm not saying you should... Like, you, we are makes, not the arbiters of morality. No. Um, and whether or not you think that you should accept that and move on, or whether you think that they've committed a particular act or crime or had a held a particular view, and they should never be welcomed back, or you should never appreciate their art again, that's going to be something people make up on an independent one-by-one -one basis. Mm. But it just seems to be, at the moment, there's a lot of push for specific people. Mm. to get. Like People are accepting... People who've done bad shit in the past mm. until it comes out again, out in the wash. But they won't forgive others because they're the other type. In this yeah. case, Tim Allen. He's right wing. We can't forgive that. Yeah. He did a crime, did you not know, 20 years ago where he dodged people in where he did when he sold dope. Yeah. All right. Who He's hasn't... in Hollywood. Who isn't doing dope? Yeah, yeah exactly. It's like, mate, he... between that, that was... I think late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. Between that point, he's had the whole... He's done his whole stand-up routine. He's done all of Home Improvement. He's done all the Toy Story films. He's done all the Santa Claus films. He's done Last Man Standing. I think at this point, you could probably push a little bit away from that crime. He's not recurred, I don't believe. Yeah. So what's the problem? Oh, he, he, like, he, he voted Republican. So there's a really weird third act in this film where it, got, it stops being a road movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, where they end up in the town of Madrid. Yes. Uh, this is where we're introduced to Marissa Tomei. Yes. Um, and William H. Macy really likes her. And um, and this all leads to the showdown with the Del Fuegos. And um, this is all perfectly serviceable. Nothing in this film jumps out for me. Like, there's nothing exceptional in it. There's also... Soundtrack's exceptional. Nothing terrible. Yeah, I did like the soundtrack. There's also nothing terrible. Um, for me, this is the ex this is a perfect example of a cookie cutter, perfectly enjoyable American comedy. Yep. It's not ever going to make my list of like ten best comedies ever made or anything like that. Interesting. Okay. Um, but it's got. It's got moments I like, um, usually around William H. Macy. I like uh, when he goes into the diner to confront the Del Fuegos and he <laughs> throws the tyre iron <laughs> through the window and he goes, can we just pretend you guys did that? Because <laughs> yeah, um, it's, uh, it's Marissa Tomei's diner. diner yeah. yeah. Um, and also when him and Martin Lawrence are going to fight the two bikers, Kevin Durand and the little Asian one. And that he makes brilliant. them swap so he can fight the Asian yeah, one. Yeah, because the Asian guy's really short. Yeah, and then like, he swap rips, over. Yeah, then he rips his clothes off and he's literally like jacked the to the Chinese gills. The guy's so ripped. And he's doing like backflips and stuff <laughs> like that. And he's just like, swap back, swap back, swap back. 
Um, I do want to give a shout out to a bit part, to a bit part, a supporting actor in this uh, film. Uh, Stephen Tobolowski is in this movie mm-hmm. as the sheriff of Madrid. Yes. Um, the completely ineffectual sheriff of Madrid who doesn't even wield guns because they accidentally shot their own deputy's ear off. Yes. I got um, my uh, license for handguns from playing Doom on the internet. Oh, yeah. They just told us to play level 12 of Doom. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I have a lot of time for Stephen Tobolowski. He is a supporting character in one of my favorite shows of all time, Californication. Okay. Um, which which is definitely one of my top ten shows of all time. Yeah. Probably top three. I love Californication. It's so funny. Uh, he plays a movie producer called Stu Beggs. Right. Um, who looks like Stephen Tobolowski, so he's a bit schlubby, got a bit of a beer gut, bold on the top, but has a giant cock. <laughs> Like, that's, like, his character, like, everyone knows he's got this giant dick. Um, and it's so weird seeing this schlubby middle-aged man. Whenever he talks about it, he's, like, so confident about it. But then everything else, he's, like, really schlubby. Um, and he, um, yeah, he's a movie producer who tries to help Hank make his movies. Nice. Um, yeah. He's good in it. He's very good. Uh, the... I believe he's in Garfield as well. I'm pretty sure he's the villain in Garfield. But but the less said about Garfield, the better. Yeah, definitely wouldn't have been his high point, <laughs> no matter which way you swing it. Uh, yes, so I'm just, I've seen him in something else before. He was quite fat in this film, mm. but he's actually, like, I saw him in something where he was a lot thinner. Um, he's quite tall, I think, as well. I think he's like yeah. six foot four or something. I was in Groundhog Day. He was in Spaceballs. Mm-hmm. He's doing quite a lot of stuff, actually. Because after they have the big fight, he literally turns to his deputies, doesn't he, and says, um, that was like level 12 of Doom. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. He's in Scooby-Doo, Shaggy's Showdown. Scooby-Dooby-Doo. Anyway. Um, so, you- so how do you feel? Because one of the criticisms I've heard of this film, mm. uh, and I'm wondering how you feel about it, so I, I'm sure you will disagree, a certain cameo happens at the end of this film. Yes. And some people f- feel that that is this actor tarnishing their legacy. That's How because those people are dumbasses. Um, <laughs> do you want to tell the audience about the cameo? So the cameo, I'll get the name up. So Peter that... Fonda. Yeah, so the reason he's in the movie, in this one cameo right at the end, is because he is a legend within biker movies. From well, his most famous role is, is Easy, Easy Rider. Rider. Yeah, he wasn't in the sequel. Um, there is a sequel to Easy Rider. The Journey Rider. Home, isn't it? It's fucking garbage. Yeah, I've always heard it's terrible. It's, it's, and what's weird is... I haven't seen Easy Rider 1 either, but I'm pretty sure I'll hate it. I do want to yeah. watch it at some point. But it's got knowing... Um, Jack Nicholson, Jack Nicholson in it, in it. and yeah. it's produced by Roger Corman. Yeah, I think it's a uh, good but knowing, film, but knowing it, how they made it makes me think it will be terrible. So, I they dropped a load of LSD. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of Easy Rider. It's a good film. Mm. It's a great biker film. So, which is an, a, another thing that won't sell it to you mm. is it's a great biker film. The problem it's I bikes have on sh- sharks on bikes. Yeah, the big problem I have with it, it has a similar problem to a Japanese film called Burst City. Mm. Uh, in that. Yeah, they were doing lots of drugs while filming it. And clearly, at one point, either ran out of money or ran out of... Or ran out of drugs. (laughs) Ran out of drugs or ran out of giving a shit. Because there's a point in the near towards the end of the movie where 
the the film builds the whole way, and then they just do like ten minutes of them fucking around a graveyard while off their nut on drugs, doing literally nothing for ten minutes, and then they move on, going, "Oh, we got no money." So you had like ten grand or something a minute ago. Like, where did that all go? And it's then there's apparently extra money in the guy's fuel tank that's never brought up again. So there's actually a plot hole there mm. in the story. And there's, there's things like that. So I watched Easy Rider. I still enjoyed it. I see why it was so beloved for the time. Mm. And actually, Easy Rider is the reason why certain other films got made. Yeah. Um, including a film I really love. Uh, what's the name of that sci-fi film uh, where the guy's trying to save the, save the plants? The Happening? No. No, no. From the 70s. Soylent Green? No, 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 no. I don't know what you're on about. Silent Running. Silent the film the film's Silent Running. Have you ever seen that? No. Silent Running is a 70s film that got made. There was a slate of five films that were made because of um, Easy Rider. Easy Rider was a low-budget film that they expected to go nowhere and was an unexpected massive hit. Mm. So the company decided to uh, do low-budget... to fund low-budget filmmakers to make a low-budget production... To see if it would make the same sort of big return on investment. Because even though it didn't make like the same sort of multi-billions that they'd expect from a film. Because the budget was so low. It's it, like its budget versus its reward was insane. It was, strat- it was stratospheric. So basically what ended up happening was they funded these five films. And Silent Running was one of them. Silent Running is a film, a sci-fi film set in on these spaceships. Where the crew have the own, like the last remaining plants from Earth, because Earth has basically been devastated, and they're in communication with Earth, flying around Jupiter, uh, waiting to come back to replant everything and keep the keep the only the last living piece of plant life alive, and then they get told to destroy the lot. There's no plant life left on Earth, and then someone on Earth goes, "Yeah, we've decided it's not worth the project. Just destroy the lot." So, and it's weird as well, because it's a universal film. It's like, and I don't mean the company. I mean universal is in the age rating. It's for everyone. But with this storyline, where the guy decides, well, I've got to save the plant. So he murders the rest of his crew. (laughs) I was like, that's got to be at least a PG, right? Nope. Um, Yeah, he murders the rest of his crew uh, so that he can keep the plant life going. Mm. But... Because he starts, basically, there's uh, the threat that they're going to be destroyed. And there's two ships with two plant bays he saves one ship by destroying himself in the other right. uh it's a brilliant film a brilliant piece of uh, very small sci-fi very low budget mm. um yeah and that got made because of easy rider okay um so easy rider was a very good film for its time but there are flaws with it that are endemic to the way that the filmmaking process was on that movie mm. there's a plot hole there's this i've mentioned it so That'd be an interesting one to do, but I think you've probably had your fill of biker movies for the time being, Jamie. Two in one day. Yeah. Well, technically, yeah, I suppose. But two very different ones. Yeah. Wild Hogs is, for me, a very good film. Again, I'm not saying it's a classic of cinema, but I tell you what, it does go on my top ten of comedies. Yeah. Yeah, fairly easily. And I'll tell you Better for... or worse than Dodgeball. Ooh. I've got to be Team Dodgeball on this. You know what? 
I think in general dodgeball is probably the better choice for most people. For me personally, it's still probably Wild Hogs. Right. Because I love, I, I, there's something about this film I just really enjoy. Yeah. But I will admit, I think some of that is the bikerness of it. Yeah. Which, if you're not a biker, won't sell itself to you. Um, it's definitely something that for you, like I have no doubt that Team Dodgeball would be on your team. Mm. Dodgeball also be in my top ten, yeah. which is ironic because I usually can't stand sports movies yeah, either. Same, but yeah. Dodgeball, I really like Dodgeball. Yeah. And you actually liked Wild Hogs, even though you don't generally like biker movies. Yeah. So that's that's why for me it has to be at least an above average comedy. For me, it's more than that. But it, it, the fact that it's been stuck to like 11% doesn't yeah. ring true to me. Yeah. I've never, I think I've met one person out of multiple different people from different walks of life that I've shown Wild Hogs to, some of which, like yourself, have literally less than zero interest mm. in biker movies or anything bike related yeah. who still enjoyed this film. Yeah. So I'm like, well, it seems to be hitting all the right notes with the vast majority of people I know. Mm. So long as they're not on the internet to read how much people hate Tim Allen. Yeah. I'm like, that to me says more than the 11% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is easily swayed by bullshit. And also, let's be clear, this is also somewhere where critics would pan it because it's a comedy movie with older male actors. Mm. I'm going to be, I'm going to go off on one on this, to be honest. This is being unfairly brutalised because of the cast. Not just because people don't like Tim Allen, but because it's a film, a comedy film, made for older men. Older white men, generally. Oh, I'm not sure. And I think that's one of the reasons it's brutalised. I'm not sure I necessarily agree with that. It's not a teen Um, movie. I will admit, you do, most bikers do tend to be older white men. Now I think about it. So it's going for the right audience. It knows its audience Um, and it's heading that way. Yeah. Um, but because there are other comedies with older male leads that do, like do what? get well regarded, like what? That's that's all like you know that's specifically well, an all male cast. Well, so I don't. To be fair, I don't know if this is all male because I've never seen it. Okay. I just know it's incredibly well received critically. Is a show called Curb Your Enthusiasm. I've never seen it. Either. The the main guy's in like his sixties. Right. I don't um, know that one. But also, that's, I, I don't think that's all male. There was another very good show that was all the leads were male. It's not an all male cast, but all the leads were male. Right. There's a really good show on Netflix called, oh my God, I can't believe I'm forgetting it. And it's really good. I was going to recommend it to you. I'm just going to have to Google the name very quickly. I'm sorry. Because I really enjoyed it. Because there is a real thing of, even if it's not the maleness of it, though I think that probably doesn't help, there is a thing where people slam any comedies that are made for older audiences. Comedies generally, for some reason in the zeitgeist right now, they have to be aimed at younger audiences. I think it depends as well because you got to see... I think that's an American thing as well because in Britain you had a whole wave of very successful... Around this time, actually, as of Wild Hogs, you had a whole wave of very... Um, successful older person focused comedies that had people like Helen Mirren, Maggie Smith in well, them. Like Red. Uh no 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 British film. So I'm talking much lower budget than Red as well. So things like Calendar Girls and things like that. Right. Um 
and Best Exotic Marigold Hotel, I think it's called. Yeah, Exotic Marigold way... Hotel is a little bit different because it's a Wes Anderson movie. That might not be the one I'm on about then. I'm pretty certain that's a... Oh, maybe I'm thinking of... No, I, I might be thinking of the wrong film. Are you thinking of Grand Budapest Hotel? I am thinking of Grand Budapest. <laughs> yeah. That's a good film, though. That like is that. A, honestly, that is a very um, good film. But yeah, there was a whole wave of those in Britain. But I do feel like in Britain, compared to America, we 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 don't mind films with older people. No. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna go. You got Star Trek, and I'm about to get Doctor Who in. Yeah, let's do it. Um, I remember when they announced Peter Capaldi as Doctor Who, and I watched loads of reaction videos, and yep. there was loads of videos of Americans being like, "Why is he so old?" And it's yeah. like, well, if you knew anything about Doctor Who, you'd know most of the early Doctors were old. Um, not that I think he was 55 when he was Doctor Who. Like, that's not even that old. Like, fuck off. Yeah. Um, th- there is an obsession with being young and beautiful in America. I've just looked up the name of that show, The Kaminsky Method. I've seen it. You've seen it? Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah I really like The Kaminsky yeah. Method. It's a shame it falls apart a bit in the last season. It does. Because uh, Alan Arkin chose to leave the show. Yeah. Um, I think due to his age, actually. I think he was struggling to keep up with the schedule, I think was the yeah, reason. Probably. Um, but that, at least for its first two seasons, it's definitely. Yeah. It's Michael Douglas, Alan Arkin, and then they add um, oh, Paul Reiser into it as well, don't they? From Aliens. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, and that's they're all older yeah. men. Um, yeah, I really liked the Kaminsky method. I thought it was really funny. Yeah, but in general, like again, those are those are what you'd consider left-leaning comedies. Mm. Whereas anything that's traditionally biker focused on Middle America, mm. sort of older male, generally won't get the won't get the look in. And we've seen the results of that. People slagging it off over literally nothing the film has done wrong. Tim Allen said this once off screen. Yeah. There are some right. people who just don't find it funny, I guess. Yeah, yeah. No, that's the same with any comedy. You yeah. can like, name the best comedy ever, in your opinion. There'll be someone out there that thinks it's garbage. Mm. And that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. It's when the percentage is so badly skewed when you that you know that it's not there well, legitimately. I, I think where that comes from is... I don't think that's necessarily just comedy. I think that comes from a certain type of film that is designed to be a lowest common denominator film. It's meant to have broad mass market appeal. And let's be honest, most film critics and film students like us are up their own ass. Yes. And they want to come across seeming smarter, more intelligent, more higher class than they are. So they'll slag off anything that's dependable and glossy because it's not too challenging. Yeah. Yeah. But then they'll sit there and praise a film like another earth that isn't actually made very well yeah um and they'll they'll gloss over all the all the badly made parts of a film yeah if they think it will allow them to sniff enough of their own farts that they feel that they're superior Mm. this happens a lot in film dialogue and i think it's it ruins film dialogue because it it, it, people come across feeling not genuine yeah I agree. I, I talk to some people sometimes. And obviously, you can totally like whatever film you want to like. Sure. But there are some times where you talk to someone and they're talking about this film and you're listening to them going, I can tell you don't actually like this film. Yeah. From from the way you're talking about it, yeah. you just feel like you should. Yeah. I mean, I sh- feel I should like Goodfellas. Mm. I feel I should like Stanley Kubrick, but I don't. Yeah. Yeah. The, the films of his I've seen so far, the best one is The Shining. 
and the book was better. Okay. Like, he missed the point of the book in his adaptation. He ch- I think um, he invented a different point. But yeah, I see. I take your point yeah. on that, I, which is if you're going to do an adaptation, yeah. you know, it's not an accurate adaptation yeah. if you're making your own point. And I, I don't respect- haven't read the book, but no. I do like Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Yeah. And I, I don't respect <laughs> the way he makes films. Okay. Um, is my thing. I I know this it's wasteful, this, isn't it? Yeah, there's this weird trend with, and it's 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 honestly my my two biggest annoyances with indie filmmakers is when they try to be Tarantino. Yep, because he was he was indie at least. Or when, when they sit there and they'll be like, "Yes, I want to do fifty takes of this shot because." Kubrick and people like Kubrick and David Fincher does this as well. Yeah. They'll do hundreds yet, yeah, but they've got millions of studio dollars behind them. Yep. Okay. At a certain point, the shot's not going to get any better. Yeah. So you either have to accept the shot you've got, or you have to you have to go back to the drawing board and rethink your shot. Slim Pickens is a big uh, thing with that as well. Like, so he was in. Um, Doctor Strangelove. Mm. He's the uh, American he the bomb, pilot. Yeah, he? he rides the bomb. Yeehaw! That famous shot. Brilliant shot, by the way. I think it's mm. great. But he burnt. His, he said he'd never work with Kubrick again, and he never did. Mm. Even though Kubrick did ask him to do a couple of films afterwards, he refused because that one shot, for example, he said he did about 120 takes mm. of him just riding a bomb, going yeah and screaming to the point he burnt his throat out. Yeah. And he said at the end of it, when I watched it in the cinema, I think they used take two. Yeah. And it's like, and also, how many takes, how, do you really think there's 120 different ways of doing yee-haw on the back of a bomb? Mm. Of course not. It was just, it was just self-indulgence at the highest level. Actually, to the detriment of the actor's throat, Mm. which is his job. He needs that throat in order to speak, in order to do his role. So, I can understand Slim Pickens not wanting to work with Kubrick again after that. There is a self-indulgence that we... It, we consider to be higher art, mm-hmm. even if it's not. Yeah, self indulgence does not art keep, does not equal art, and I think it's a shame that we seem to be in a culture that suspects that it is. Yeah. Um. To be fair, Wild Hogs is never up its own ass. It knows exactly no. what it is. It puts that on the table, and it serves it up beautifully. Yeah, that's true. It that's looks true. The, visually, it looks great. The sound design in this film is one of the best I've heard for a long time. Yeah, like the the actual surround sound activity with the bikes and things like that. It's amazingly well done. Mm. Um, and that's stuff that's you know that's technical. I understand that's not artistic. Yeah, but at some point you look at it and you go, "What is the big beef?" Artistically, you can have your opinions, but te- on a technical level, everything in this film works yeah. on a technical level. So all we're arguing about is the artistic level. You can't say it looks like shit because it doesn't. You can't say yeah. it sounds like shit because it doesn't. So all you can talk about is plot beats, which it hits pretty well. It's a pretty standard three-act structure. Uh, the characterizations, which are pretty well fleshed out for you know the screen time they have. So... All you've got left is whether or not you enjoy the humour. And a lot of the answers as to do you enjoy the humour, people who have actually watched it, that I know who've watched it, have said, yes, I like the humour. With one exception, to be clear. Yeah. Um, And most people online don't even say they don't like the humour. They just go, I don't like Tim Allen. Yeah. Or it's stupid because it's old men on bikes. Well, go fuck yourself. Which makes me feel real because they're not even old in this. (laughs) Then what, they're late 40s, early 50s? Yeah. Yeah, but that's them past their prime because they're not, you know, 
Would this film oh, be mate, any different pa- if you put your Chris, prime, you Chris your Pratt, Chris Evans now, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. If they you know what they, they could definitely do as a marketing tactic, you could definitely do a Wild Hogs remake with the four Hollywood Chris's in it. Yeah, Chris Evans, Chris Hemsworth, Chris Pratt, and Chris. Um, oh, the one who's in Star Trek, he's Captain Kirk. Oh, Chris Pine. Pine. Because uh, yeah. they refer to them as the Hollywood Chrises, don't yeah, they? Yeah. You should totally do a Wild Hogs remake where it's all four Chrises. Yes, the four C's. Mm. You know what? No, they should put them guys into the second dodgeball. The four C's of dodgeball. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe they're doing another dodgeball. That is a bad choice. It's a bad choice. It's a, a stupid Dodgeball choice. was a, a lucky accident and a perfect movie. Yeah, it was a flash in the pan. Yeah, you cannot remake that lightning in a bottle. Certainly not without fucking Rip Torn. Yeah. And at the moment, it looks like there's no Ben Stiller. Yeah. I'm sorry, but no one was watching Dodgeball for Peter Lafleur. Ben Stiller is the MVP of that film. Yeah. Yeah. Without Nobody him, makes me bleed my own blood. <laughs> Real freaky naughty. <laughs> anyway, I think we've uh, we've maxed it up that there. out. Do um, you feel like you've adequately defended Wild Hogs? Uh, I think so. I, at least I've I've made my point where I I have yet to see any legitimate enough reason why Wild Hogs deserves its eleven percent or think, uh, do, you th- do you think we've uh, convinced anyone to give it a second chance? I hope so. I hope people do give it another chance and be a bit more open-minded on it. Because, yeah, it, again, I'm not saying it's going to rock your world, but it will be an enjoyable bit of time. Yeah. You will enjoy yourself, and it's well-made, in general. What If you had to watch one of them again... Wild Hogs. Straight away, prove my point. Yeah. I mean, Wild, wild Hogs, I will, I will watch again at some point. Yeah. Probably, like, ten years from now. But I will watch yeah. Wild Hogs again at some point. Yeah. Pray Whereas wild... I'll probably never watch Pray for the Wildcats sure. again. The diff- it's interesting as well, because Pray for the Wildcats at least tries to tackle some interesting themes. Whether or not it gets there 100% is a different matter. But it is an interesting film that tackles interesting themes yeah. in a way that someone who would prefer a more pretentious movie would be able to enjoy more than Wild Hogs. Because there's nothing pretentious in Wild Hogs. There is in Pray for the Wildcats. But Wild Hogs is more enjoyable. Yeah. As a rewatch, you know, you can you could rewatch Wild Hogs three nights in a row if you wanted to. Still kind of enjoy it, though no one should do that with any film really. You couldn't do that with Pray for the Wildcats. No. It's too slow paced. But it's a good one to watch now and then for its pacing and its thought provoking yeah. themes. But yeah, maybe we should re you up for remaking Pray for the Wildcats? We've got a lot of other stuff to do first. Yeah. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us. Still alive. We can count it. Thank you for joining us for this special bumper length birthday special. Happy birthday, Roaring. Thank you. And uh, we will see you next time on Second Take Cinema.